Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I'm your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone, on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode 20, but screw that. It's episode one of 2021, baby. Let's roll. And with that, 2021, uh, you know, unveils. It's uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. Uh, we're actually uh, Wednesday morning in Shanghai, and you'll find out what's going on there. My, my main man from Shanghai is back on today. I am so excited. 2021 is upon us, and that means, you know, every time that, that new year turns over, my favorite time of year because it's playoff football and it's uh, it's dynasty fantasy football off season. I live for the off season, and you know, no one better to start off, you know, the twenty twenty one off season than my very good friend Mark Mathic. So Mark Mathic is is with us today, and a guy who who lives that 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 off season dynasty life, uh, you know, with me. And that's kind of how we met is toiling away on Twitter and. And, and and with pr- player evals and all that sort of stuff. And so without any further ado, let me introduce to you a guy who has done so much work in the in the fantasy football community for so many different people. But, you know, I'm proud to call him my teammate and friend, Mark Mathic. Uh, you can find Mark at, on Twitter at Master June. Uh, Master June is who knows what that means. I, I asked him before, but nobody knows. But Mark Mathic, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Jax. I'm sitting here in Shanghai with my seven piles of notes for you today. I love it. I'm sitting here in you know cold California with uh, a Red Bull and vodka, just getting just getting saucy. It's minus eight degrees Celsius here. I don't know if 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 you can translate that into Fahrenheit, but uh, where I come from, that's pretty freaking cold. Yeah, I remember there's a it's basically like times 1.5 minus 32 or something like that. There's like a uh, yeah, I forget the the exact. I'm not a math well, wizard. Well, we can leave that to the analytics department. Yeah, absolutely absolutely. I think that's a wise idea. You know, definitely I want to know the sliding scale of Celsius to Fahrenheit so that we can figure out if there are some like CFL games, you know, what the temperature is cuz I wouldn't know. But I'll tell you, Jax, I just want to tell you, okay? I am pumped. I am so pumped to be here. You know what? 2020 was awful. 2021 is going to be great. And you know what? We're going to tackle this. We're going to like tackle this like like I'm a stiff arm and like I'm Derrick Henry. I'm getting thrown here by by the uh, by the stiff arm for sure. I'm thrown, no doubt. I think the listeners are thrown too. They had no idea that Shanghai even employed anybody with so much energy. Um, but yeah, they do. All right. And, uh, you know, speaking of speaking of Shanghai, I mean, you guys can I mean, speaking of energy is what I meant to say, not Shanghai. But speaking of energy, you can see why Mr. Mathic is on the program. When I first, uh, you know, ran across him uh, on Twitter, I thought he was like, uh, you know, 22 years old. He's got that sort of cool vibe, energetic and the whole thing. And, you know, he's he's just cool as shit. So but no, you guys can hear by his voice. He's actually 23. So wait, I was way <laughs> off, way off, way off. <laughs> Speaking of way off, what kind of microphone are you using? I'm using a Samsonite microphone, and this is been. Are you okay. sure? It is. It's Samsonite, and you know what? Mary Swanson, Mary Swanson oh. from Dumb and Dumber, wants this microphone back, but she's not going to get it back till after this podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Borrowing that Samsonite Swanson situation, uh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, enough 
complete and utter nonsense. I think what the people want to hear is 2021 prospects, dynasty process, things like that. And it's, it, it, it is early. I mean, you know, it's January right now. I say sit back in your dynasty league, sit back, relax, do not feel pressured to make a trade, especially if you're giving up draft picks at this particular point. I am all about trying to attain draft picks, even if they're third, third round picks. You could probably move, you know, some some fringier players for thirds. You really want to just stock up on as many draft picks as possible, because if you have a few, you know, whether they be seconds and thirds, etc. Sometimes you can move a couple of thirds to get that guy you want in the second, or you can sell a third on the clock for a 2022 second, and that's how you continue to, you know. Uh, dredge value out of your out of your roster. Um, you know, just kind of keep pushing everything forward. So, absolutely, now's the time. And and what we found, and, and Mark, you you know this as well as anybody. You know, Mark comes to us with a with a background in Devi, plays a ton of Devi and college football, um, fantasy, and things like that. So he really knows the prospects, which is why I wanted to have him on. But he knows more than anybody that twenty twenty one is shaping up to be a very deep class. Uh, a lot of guys have already declared and more to come, of course. And, uh, you know, with that, thirds actually have some value. We saw that in a, our undroppables uh, rookie mock that we did. There was value well out into the third. We did three rounds, and there were some some quality guys that we're going to mention today that weren't even drafted. Tell you this much. Fourth round, even fourth round draft picks, valuable. Why? Let's look to last year. Darnell Mooney, okay? Gabriel Davis, drop the mic. That's right. That's right. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and uh, Harrison Bryant or whatever. I mean, you know, there was there was other guys. I mean, uh, Quintus Cephas kind of, you know, w- was a player that probably you were drafting at, at about that point. And so, yeah, I mean, if your drafts are happening this early uh, in the season, it's kind of weird. And, you know, so maybe, you know, you, you probably don't need, need us very much at this particular point because you're ready to pick. But most drafts happen just after the NFL draft, which gives you the sort of same ramp up to the prospects and the and the process as the NFL teams, which makes it so much fun, you know. And so that's what I do recommend as a as a commissioner and player is you know just I and, and personally I like to do startups where the rookies are in there. And if you're going to do a rookie draft, I like to pick. The picks, um, you know, not just have a separate rookie draft later. I like to pick the picks, throw the picks in there. Um, so that's just my two cents. You know, startups, we'll talk about that later, not today. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about, though, is the playoffs. I mean, the playoffs are, are upon us. And, you know, the whole new seven team each side means that we get two extra games the weekend this weekend. And to me, that's, that's great. Yeah, I, I actually didn't even know that was happening until – um, like a week ago, I was like, "Well, three wild card teams. Okay, awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. You were too busy in Shanghai. They didn't tell you guys out there. I was too busy doing my rookie evals, too too knee deep in uh, Javante Williams and and Michael Carter comparisons, which is going to be a question. So don't spoil it, but way to tease it. Um, you know. Let let let's talk real qu- quickly about the the topic at hand. I've got some some thoughts on it. I know I shared them a little bit on Twitter, but you know the Doug Peterson situation. Let me let me start by saying, you know, as a fan 
of the Patriots. I could give a shit that the Eagles tanked and screwed the Giants over. That sounds awesome. And I have friends who are Redskins fans or, excuse me, football team fans. And, you know, I'm just as happy that they're going to the playoffs as any of those other NFC East teams. So for me as a fan, I guess it doesn't matter. But for me as a football fan and as a football watcher, uh, you know, and as a former player, you know, I could just feel the energy was not there. And so I've got a few little ideas, uh, but curious to just hear your sentiments on it, Mark. What what were your thoughts? Did you see it live? I know you're, you know, uh, sleeping at that time. Uh, What's it like uh, Wednesday at Sunday night at at, at five o'clock? Is it Wednesday over there? Is that what it is? I forget the the time change. It's 12 o'clock somewhere, right? (laughs) No, seriously, that game, that game was on late enough that actually I had it connected to my big screen TV while at work with a few friends in my room, having lunch, watching the game. So I I was able to watch that game. And um, it was baffling at the time, live. And um, afterwards, you know, I'm not a big fan of of either team. And I don't think any of the East teams in the NFC are going to go very far anyway. But um, it was disheartening as, as say, a Jalen Hurts um, rosterer or... right. Uh, later, later on, it actually hit me more when I saw the tweet uh, video of um, tra- Travis Kelsey's brother, Jason Kelsey. Jason, uh, yeah. And, yeah, Jason, and his, and his um, disappointment. It was kind of almost like an extension of the J.J. Uh, Watt video of, you know what, we try our hardest, we go out, we play 100%. So I, I feel it more from the players and really from uh, the actual fans of, say, the Giants. It, it must be tough. Yeah. Yeah. And it was awful. I mean, and and if you're at all, I I know I was wanting to see if Jalen Hurts could win that game and play spoiler. Right. You know, that's that's an interdivision game. The the four teams played each other in that last week. And, you know, the Giants came in and spoiled the, the, the Cowboys day. And, you know, not that I wanted to see the Giants get excited later on, but I wanted to see if Jalen Hurts could ruin someone else's day. Um, and, 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 and come through in a big moment. He, he, he threw the, you know, that fourth and five, he made the play, he made the read, he held onto it long enough to let his wide receiver break. And he just threw a duck into the ground, which is inexcusable on fourth and five. So a terrible play there, you know, and I hear a lot of the, the, the sort of the chirpers saying he was seven of 20, da, da, da. Look, we've, I've seen a million games and, and we know that he was lathered up and ready to go. Um, you know, and the players were ready to go. So, I started to think about this. Okay, so if Doug Peterson did this on his own, that doesn't make any sense, right? Because he's coaching for his job, right? So if he's coaching for his job, he would never make that move, right? Absolutely. So the only way that he did that is with basically with a sign-off from ownership and or general management. I agree. Right? Right? Okay. So so we're on the same page. He then also floated to the media that Sudfeld might play, which I think was interesting. And they, they dressed Sudfeld instead of Wentz, which I found interesting. And then when they do it, the players, there was a couple defensive players that needed to be restrained. There was like... You know, Kelsey was upset. Hertz was obviously somewhat shocked by it. I don't think that I don't. I I, I just don't know. 
you know, in other words, if he did it on his own, it's like a fireable offense because it was embarrassing. If it's not, then he should have sort of announced it like, yeah, we're going to play both quarterbacks no matter what. Like, and, and if you're going to get him to play, then play him in the second quarter or something, like see what he's got. But I, I, you know, that was clearly a tank job, in my opinion, from the, from the, the league, from uh, Philly management. And he just sort of executed the plan and then also, uh, you know, was the fall guy, right? He was like, oh, I did it all on my own. It was a great idea. Get the kid some reps. Really felt he deserved it. And then, of course, Sudfeld proved that he did not deserve those reps by literally sucking the life out of that stadium. And the, out of America, like we're all watching this game, and I was like, "Oh, you know, it's going to be a verb now." Oh, did you? What a Sudfeld, you know? Uh, awful. Yeah, well, and think of it this way: um, it kind of makes you also think about the whole Wentz situation. Did he have control yeah. over when when Wentz came in and Wentz, uh, you know, was no longer the starter? But I'm I'm thinking it from a Jalen Hurts perspective. He's started up to this point, I do believe, three games. So this is his fourth game, and right. you really want to see what this guy's got. You know what you have in Wentz. Um, I don't think this year is 100% indicative of who Wentz is. So you you have a, a history with of Wentz, so you have an idea of what he's like. You have three-plus games with Hurts. He's now in a situation where it's close. They can still win. Um, you take him out of the game. What does that do for Hertz? What does that do for Hertz's confidence in the future? This is the guy that you pretty much have told us is going to be your starting quarterback next year. Why would you pull Hertz in a moment that he can shine? He could fail, but he could shine. At least he's getting experience. It does not make any sense to be what to tank for for a sixth round uh, for a sixth draft pick instead of a ninth draft pick. As we know, uh, how did? Um, Henry Ruggs turn out compared to Justin Jefferson. So, I mean, it's a terrible, terrible mistake all across the board, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And, and especially the way they did it. Like, literally, if you're tanking six for nine, then you kind of come out and, like, show your hand early. Like, you start throwing a little Sudfeld at him, you know, early, you know. Like, or, or you kind of say, hey, we're going to rotate these two guys and wink, wink, we're not going to try. But – you know, yeah. to get all the way down to the to the point where it's like fourth quarter, game on the line. You're down six, like, and you throw the Sudfeld. You know, it's just it was it was definitely embarrassing. And I agree. You know, how do they know? That, do they already know if it's Wentz or Hurts? And if that also must mean they have decided at least, right? Like, you don't think that that would have been at least more data points for them to make a decision? Like, in other words, let's see what Hurts does here and. Like you said, his only fourth game ever, but in one of the more you know pressure-packed moments of his you know young career, let's kind of see how he reacts. Um, that would have been good data to have to make the decision between Wentz and Hertz, but it would lead me to believe that that decision has already been made. If in fact they they pull him because they're like, well, we don't need to see any more of this guy. So either they're in or out on Hertz. It, it would appear to me, and then they come out and say afterward. That the Wentz thing is not over. They're, 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 I can only imagine that's to try and drive up trade value. But please, I mean, this. Is, so they they are just sending mixed signals. It'll be very interesting to see what they do if they if they just keep Wentz and Hurts into next year. I, I, I'll just be shocked about this whole thing. I mean, it's just completely mismanaged. Uh, totally. I I really don't know what to make of it. I mean, Hurts came out like a you know a house on fire for the first two games. Was amazing. 
his third game not so great and this game not so great. So therefore, if you're evaluating Hertz on four starts, he's basically 50-50. And, um, you know, to me, is that enough? And why would you, even if you, even if you were Doug Peterson and you were told from the upper management that you're going to pull Hertz because he is our guy for next year and you go up to Hertz and you say, Hey buddy, we've seen enough. You're our starter next year. Don't worry. I'd still feel, I'd still feel as Jalen Hertz slighted, like, dude, you're, if I'm your starter, number one, you're basing it on very few games. Number two, I need to be in these positions. I need to be in that, that, that fourth and five again and be able to make that play you need you want to see more of me you want to see me in these pressure packed situations so it's and just I, I want more opportunities to make them and and you're 100 percent right if this decision was made sort of complicitly like hey this is what's going to happen we know what's going to happen we're going to get stuff like i feel like he needed to talk to jalen before the game and say listen no matter what man we're going to go to him late even if we're winning we're going to kind of da 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 you know i need you to be with me blah 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 instead he's on the bench going it's not fair lip reader you know said basically he said it, it's not fair and he didn't look like he was into it and obviously kelsey wasn't defensive players were like ready to go fucking rip Doug Peterson's head off. So they, they did it without even buy-in from the players, which I think is also s- ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's just a PR nightmare is really more than anything. I mean, th- things can still, of course, work out for them. Like they can trade Wentz, keep Hurts, yada, yada. Everything's cool. They get the sixth pick instead of the ninth. Water under the bridge. I get that. I, I totally see that. I'm, I'm not naive to that. But it's just the optics of it were terrible. It seems like, you know, uh, it, it, it just didn't make any sense. And, you know, if they were doing the math, I saw, I don't know if you saw Thor Nystrom had a really great, uh, you know, uh, post on, on Twitter, it was a little thread. And he, he talked about, you know, the difference between 1-6 uh, and 1-9, 2-6 and 2-9, 3-6 and 3-9, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the sort of the trade value chart that the old Jimmy Johnson trade value chart and if you add up all the difference between where they moved, it was the equivalent of a third round pick. And so basically by doing that, they re- regenerated themselves a third round. All that makes sense to me. But if that's your plan, then get your team on board with it. You know, at least have Hertz on board with it. Hey, man, listen, we're going to recruit some value. It's going to be great. You're going to get a chance to play, but we're going to kind of, you know, whether we win or lose, it's going to probably be on Sudfeld's shoulders. So we'll probably lose, brother. But I just wanted you to know, go out there and fight hard first half. We're going to show them what's up. Get a big lead even if you come out and whatever the case, right? You know, um, I just, you know, I thought you, you at least needed to have your team on your side. But they didn't They didn't think so. So um, sayonara. Well, I mean, really now by getting the sixth pick instead of the ninth, they can now get – J.J. Arcega-Whiteside instead of getting D.K. Metcalf. Good for them. Exactly. Boom. Exactly. Jalen Rager instead of Justin Jefferson. They're they're in position to get their guy, to make the choice, which they always make the right choice, as you point out. <laughs> Boom. Now, let's go from teams that uh, fell out of the playoffs, you know, embarrassingly, like the Eagles and the Giants, to teams that are in the playoffs and – just some awesome matchups. I talked about it um, a couple weeks ago with with Reedy. Uh, I had him on the pod, and I just reviewed what the kind of matchups would be, and I kind of wanted Baltimore in and Miami out, and it's exactly what we got in the AFC. And I think it just it lines up perfectly. Some of the matchups are a little bit different than we had originally foreseen, but you know the first matchup of the week, Colts at Bills. I mean, what a what a great matchup. Um, Bills are favored by I think six and a half still. I'm gonna check my lines because that's just moving quick but uh what's your take on this on this one here i is 
what are the what are the Colts going to do? I think they should tank. That's what I think they should do because they don't want <laughs> they don't want Philip Rivers as their future quarterback. They're already talking about like Wentz and 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 perhaps uh, uh, Garoppolo or whatever. So I mean, the Bills are just as a as a Chiefs fan, you know, um, heading into the season, always fearing teams like the Ravens. Midway through the season, fearing Pittsburgh, who were undefeated. Now, at the end of the season, no doubt, the biggest foe for us, in my opinion, is Josh Allen and the Bills. So I cannot, I cannot see the Bills, even though it's a, they have to win by a touchdown or more. I just, and I know the Colts have a good defense and everything, and and if they do click, they can beat anybody. But that being said, I can't see the Bills losing this one. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's going to be really difficult. Um, let me give you a, 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 a you know one thing I looked at with all these these matchups, and you know, obviously quarterback versus quarterback, coach versus coach. But some of the stats that I think are just sort of basic stats. I mean, they're not too deep, but it's just sort of uh, third down conversions and turnovers, right? You know, those are going to converting and not turning the ball over will win you football games, right? I mean, if you can just convert your way to a touchdown, boom, you know, you can not turn the ball over. Well, now they have to convert their way a lot, a lot longer, right? I mean, big plays aside, it's just sort of that field position game is won by converting and not turning the ball over. And, you know, when we look at converting, would you believe that the Bills are the best in the NFL, number one in the NFL, converting third downs percentage-wise. I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have thought it was the Chiefs or some other team. But, you know, one thing that's happened with Josh Allen, and 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 I need to eat some crow. Caw, caw. I'm eating crow <laughs> right now. Um, is is uh, unbelievable. This kid went from, you know, basically a 55% career completion guy to almost 70 this year. Uh, he might have been at 70. I mean, it's unbelievable, 68, whatever he was. I mean, just incredible number one in the league and in, in, in third down. So, you know, you look at that that Colts defense, you'd think, well, they must be really good uh, stopping, you know, third down conversion. They're only they're only 19th in the league. So their defense, well, wh- how's it so good? Well, they were number two in turnover differential. Uh, they were fifth fifth on offense and, and third on defense in terms of turnover percentage by drive. So they were, they were second in the league in turnover. So I think if we're going to see the Colts win, they're going to have to win that turnover battle. They're going to have to have a big one, maybe a maybe a strip sack for a touchdown, an interception return for a touchdown. Otherwise, I think if you're just asking who's going to convert more, this Josh Allen team where he is just – I mean, he's always been a great runner, so he can convert that way. But also, if he's going to throw 70% completion percentage – uh, with those weapons, and you mentioned Gabriel Davis on the on the on the top. I mean, this guy's legit. I've I've, I've been telling y'all, um, you know, they're gonna be they're gonna be dangerous. So yeah, I think there's no way they don't cover too. By the way, because you're right, they may run away may run away with it. And if they're uh, you know uh, coming after Phil Rivers, who's kind of a sitting duck back there, if they're down ten or ten or fifteen points uh, and just have to throw throw throw, Rivers is gonna make a mistake. We know that. Well, I mean, the only, the only, I guess, counter argument to this is let's, let's go back one year when the Ravens played the Titans. And, and we're talking about a Ravens team that was dominant, that had a quarterback that was dominant, um, that really just flamed out in the uh, playoffs. Now, <clears throat> has Josh Allen won a playoff game to this point? I do believe the answer is no, but I could be wrong. 
maybe, maybe, and I'm again, Josh Allen haters will come after me for this, but there is a possibility that Josh Allen does turn into a pumpkin and that therefore this game really rides on Josh Allen. If Josh Allen plays like Josh Allen has played in 2020, it's going to be lights out. If he plays, yeah, if he, if he somehow gets pressured and he gets uncomfortable and there, and somehow the Colts get a 14 point lead, then this could be an interesting game. So that's the only yep. scenario, really, that I could throw out there. No, that's right. I mean, you're right. I mean, any sort of logic brings us to the Bills. If we look at the numbers, if we look the way the teams have played, um, we really look at that Buffalo swagger, too. Their coaching is outstanding. I like Frank Reich a lot, so I don't think it's a huge advantage. But normally, Frank Reich and that, that, that coaching staff might be an advantage over another staff. Not here. Uh, the Bills uh, are, are well coached for sure, man. So I, I think um, I think it's I think it's fair to to take the Bills. You know, I'm a degenerate. I'll probably you know tease them around and get that line down to you know to one and and, and take them there. But right now it's Bills by seven, as best I see. So uh, the second game that's an early game too. <clears throat> uh, should be cold in Buffalo, but second game is sort of a. Obviously, a, a, a rematch of two games already. It's a divisional matchup. Rams at Seahawks. Uh, McVay finally doing the right thing in one of these games, which he said he's not going to announce his starting quarterback until kickoff. Of course. Like, even if you know 100% Goff is playing right now, of course you don't tell him. Make him prepare for both of these uh, these guys. I mean, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, right? If you're if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna go I, unless Goff is hurt like out of this like that he can't play, I mean you gotta play Goff. It's it's kind of like uh, maybe you're not telling anybody, but I mean I think Goff's gonna play. I mean that's their their only chance. Not saying it's a great chance, but it's their only chance. So even though you're gonna have to prepare for both guys, I think um, you know the Rams are at a huge disadvantage here either way because. Either quarterback, you put both of them together, and they don't measure up to Russell Wilson. Well, that's a fact. Um, although they're both taller than him, so I'm not sure what you meant by that. <laughs> well, yes, I, I was I was speaking purely from a subjective, uh, you know, ni- nice hair, unlimited um, factor, as opposed to the height. Oh, factor. yes, 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 girlfriend, etc. Yeah, no, no, off field, off field. Yeah, uh, no, you're right, though. I mean, obviously. You know, we, we talked about this, I think maybe, well, we've certainly talked about it, you know, maybe not on the pod, but certainly elsewhere, like, you know, who's the guy you want for any single game ever, you know, qu- quarterback. It's like Mahomes, Wilson, like Wilson's right there. I know Aaron Rodgers is there too, but even Wilson sometimes in that one game, I mean, because it can be ugly, it can be all sorts of who knows what, and that kid's just running for 25 yards you know, down by six, you know, it's it's 16 to 10, and he's just making plays to get down there and score touchdowns. This is what he does. I mean, he's very effective in that way. So, um, yeah, I think Russell Wilson definitely is the X factor because he's the best player on the field. Maybe. Uh, on the other side of the field, uh, Aaron Donald has something to say about that. He's certainly the best defensive player, and the Seahawks have not been doing too much offensively um, is there a world in which, you know, I, th- I said it last time on the pod, it was like this, this, or in the unmatched pod, I said that, that, that game, the, the Seattle San Francisco game is going to be one of those six, nine games. And at one point late in the third, it was six, nine. So, you know, that, those types of games where it's just kind of, 
you know, they're just in the muck. Now, I know that game opened up a little bit in the fourth, which is kind of what happens in the NFL, but this game might be the same. I mean, the over-under is 42.5. I think it's going to be one of those low-scoring games where, look, once a defense kind of sinks their teeth in, if it's, you know, you know, three and out, punt, you know, five plays, punt, the Rams got to like their their chances in that situation. Absolutely. I mean, the Seahawks' defense is uh... – really poured on in the second half of the season. They've, uh, they started off as being one of the most poorest defenses in, in the country. And now they, they are actually the Seattle Seahawks defense that we've all known for so many years. So it's such a good defensive matchup. And so therefore it's really, again, like I said, the first game comes down to really Josh Allen. This game comes down to Russell Wilson. Cause I don't think Goff is going to win it for you. It's going to be one of those where the Rams defense will win it for them. But it's really up to Wilson to just look over to the sideline, look at his uh, offensive coordinator and flip him the bird and say, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to cook. And that's the only way we're going to win this thing. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about third downs, too. It's like, you know, you want to talk about a disparity. Uh, The Rams defense is third in the NFL uh, getting teams off the field uh, on third down. The Seahawks, 27th. So, you know, just that third down. I know that Russell Wilson's that difference, but he's going up against a defense that gets you off the field, and he hasn't been doing too much. Uh, you know, that's where I think it just could get a little bit funny, where you know, all of a sudden, a couple of big plays on offense. Uh, you know, maybe a big defensive play, if you know, strip sack, fumble type of thing. You know, this is going to be a very interesting game to watch. I think it's going to be low scoring, so the margin for error is going to be a little smaller. Um, and so maybe that Rams defense is the unit that wins the game. It's certainly possible. I, I would lean uh, Seahawks here and I'd probably even, you know, I'd hate given four here, but you know, I'd probably do it if I had to, if I had to choose again, I'd love to tease this around a little bit and play some, play some games with that spread, but that's just cause I'm a degenerate folks. This is not advice at this point. Um, that line, but, that line is that that's a tough line because when you, we've got the line of four points because it really could come down to a field goal or a touchdown. It's, it's really going to be a, a play, a possession. So it's either going to be one team wins by six or seven points or one team wins by three points. Most likely we're, we're, we're edging to our bets towards Seahawks. So when the line is four, it's tough because it'll go either way. Yeah, you can't get past the other three unless you kind of do a, you know, three or four, four-way tease. And I, I, you know, not to start to get too fancy, but I'll usually tease the over-unders along with that too. So three games, I'll usually do a six-way tease and get those lines moved about 10 and you just got to be right six out of six with the with with an extra ten points. But you know, there's some juice there. It's fine. But you know, uh, on a playoff game, there may be some some ways to play that where you can where you can win it. But uh, not a comfortable line at, at four. Um, <clears throat> well, the the night game, uh, the Saturday night game, which uh, is now at eight points. Tampa Bay visiting the Washington Football Team. Tampa Bay favored by eight on the road against this mercurial Washington team that I just can't necessarily think is going to be competitive in this game in some way. I just, I, I don't know. I think it could be a route. Uh, that's, it, that's just me thinking out loud. I mean, this is Tom Brady. This is playoffs. He's got weapons and Washington is going to be rolling with a hobbled Alex Smith at best. Yep. I mean, you know, Looking at this game, my first initial reaction is the the Bucks are just going to kill them. But then at the same time, 
you know, if we look at Tom Brady, who's had a very good fantasy season, but if you look at like individual games, he's been all over the map. He's either been like shit hot or he's been like shit. So, and I know it's the playoffs, but he is with the Bucks now. He's not with the Patriots. And I'm not saying that he's a, uh, what is it, the process quarterback or the system, system. quarterback. Yeah, that yeah. he's not a system. But you know what? Tom Brady, <laughs> this is his first playoff game without New England, man. And, you know, we'll, we'll find out. Like, uh, he's either been really good or he's been really off. And so the, the team, to me, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm Canadian, by the way, everybody, just to let you know. So we're allowed to like two teams, just to let you know. Like, um, Jax only likes New England as his team, and he's only allowed to like New England because he's American. But I'm Canadian. We're allowed to have two teams because – geographically I'm not close to anywhere so Kansas City is my first team but my other team actually my oldest team of love is actually the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so they're my second team and so I watch them very closely and to be honest with you they've got a great record but they've not had they've not gelled you know what this could be the time that they gel and they win it all but honestly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have got a lot of Chiefs not a lot of Indians. They've got a lot of great players, but as a team, I've not seen them solidified yet. So if there's a chance that Washington with a great defense that they have, and I know Alex Smith has only been okay, and in fact, um, less than okay, but if somehow Washington can rattle Tom Brady, and Tom Brady gets rattled out there, he this year he's looked a lot like Phillip Rivers yelling at his teammates and everything. So if you get under his skin in this game, there is a chance. It's going to be a close game if the Washington football team wins. We know it's either going to be a close game or a blowout, but most likely it's going to be a Bucks win, but there is a chance, and it could be an upset. I don't think it's going to happen, but if it does happen, I think that's the reason why. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> certainly it's going to be with that defensive front. I mean, the recipe for you know kind of messing with Brady has always been pressure with four, uh, if any team can do it, it's certainly this team. I, I think the Rams posed a pretty, uh, you know, tough matchup for them, and I think this Washington team poses a little bit of a tough matchup. Although their secondary is beatable, and I don't think that I, I, I do think Tampa Bay's defense, while I thought it was better than it was early, I, I think it's still pretty good. Um, you know, so they they kind of they. They're they're the sixth uh, they're sixth in the NFL in turnover differential. The Tampa Bay Washington twenty fourth. They certainly have to win the turnover battle in this game. I don't think there's any way that they can they can lose the turnover battle and win. So they're going to have to buck that trend, uh, and they're going to have to con- make some conversions. They're going to have to stop the Bucks from converting. Uh, Tom Brady is a that's what he does. He converts in the playoffs. That's just what he does. I think you know, throwing it downfield and all that stuff. I mean, he's going to take some chances. I think he'll actually throw a pick in the game, I think, because he's going to get a little cocky and he's going to want to make a play down the field and he'll make a mistake. But it'll be down the field, in my opinion. Uh, so, But I, I just think Tampa Bay's got a little bit too much in there, at least good enough on defense, you know, above average, where that Washington offense I don't think is going to cause them too many issues. We'll see, as you point out, if uh, if Arians can game plan and, you know, and, and put the proper game plan around them to be successful or if he kind of blows the pooch because he's been kind of a you know uh, a train wreck at times moving to Sunday this is my favorite game actually this this Sunday early game Ravens at Titans uh, rematch from last year as you pointed out a little earlier um, totally fun game man I, I think this game is going to be so much fun like visually Lamar Jackson Derek Henry tough teams but there is a little bit of a weakness here 
but I'm going to let you hit it first. What do you think is going to happen here? Ravens at Titans. Yeah, I, I agree with you on 100%. Revenge game. Um, I Again, honestly, looking at this game, the Ravens are away and the Ravens are favored by what? Three and a half. Yeah. Ravens by three and a half. Yep. On the road. On the road. Yeah. So, you know, obviously many think that the Ravens are going to take advantage of this game. I'm not too sure. I actually, uh, you know, I've, I've been a bit down on Ryan Tannehill over the years, probably because it's, you know, I was scarred and marred by the, the years that he was in uh, Miami, but uh, you know, like even last game, I know it was a nothing game for Houston, but I knew that Houston game was going to be close. And I know that Deshaun Watson's a competitor and, and really, uh, Tennessee's been all over the map. Their defense is not great, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll tell you one thing, you can never count them out of a game. And you know what? Um, I actually, I, I am going to maybe go against consensus here. And I have a feeling that the, uh, it's not going to be the Ravens by three and a half. I'm going to take the Titans here. And I think I'm going to take the Titans to win this game. Yeah, it's not crazy. I think they're evenly matched. When I pick the lines, I, I I try and find value in the lines by picking them, and I, I picked the Ravens by one. In other words, I thought it was a coin flip, um, and to give the Ravens on the other side of the field goal advantage, I would definitely you know, put the money on the Titans plus three and a half, that for sure, because you win all the field goal games, you know, you win them all. You win, you win. So, you know, and a lot of times these things come down to a field goal, uh, you know, overtime, et cetera. It doesn't even matter. A lot of times it's a three-point game. So, you know, by Ravens three and a half on the road, I love Titans, uh, you know, and the, and the points. However, here's here's the biggest, one of the biggest mismatches I saw uh, in the data was the Ravens offense uh, is basically converts the fourth most third downs. They're a conversion uh, master as well. The The Titans defense ranks dead last. Dead last in the NFL. The Giants, the Jets, the Lions, all those teams are in the NFL. The Titans are last in, uh, in third down conversion rate defensively. That's a problem. Uh, their, 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 their secondary has been has been lit up week after week. It's going to hurt them at some point, right? They're going to get smoked in the secondary at some point. When is it? I just have a hard time betting that it won't be this week. So, you know, push comes to shove. I I do think that the Ravens can smoke these guys. I don't know that the Titans can smoke them because you're just never out of the game with this, with this, with the secondary, with the Titans. Um, The Titans are number one in the NFL in turnover differential. So, they're, they've won. They've, they've won by taking good care of the football, by scoring efficiently. They're also a, a very good offensive third down. They're fifth, so this is the fourth and fifth uh, ranked third down conversion team. So they're both going to convert, and they get that with great running games. So they're faced with third and shorts. So actually, you know, their, their third downs are usually shorter. Uh, we're probably going to see some more of that in this game. Derrick Henry is obviously a, an alien, and you know Lamar Jackson and and um, and J.K. Dobbins are awesome. Uh, Gus Edwards provides great backup. I think, you know, we saw, um, you know, Marquise uh, San Bernardino Brown kind of get open and make big plays. Uh, I think they're starting to come together at the right time, uh, Baltimore. I think they had to change the way they played. They lost their two guards. uh, Well, you know, obviously, you know, 
early in the season, before the season even started. They basically had a hole at, 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 up the middle, and we felt it. You know, they tried to run a lot of that zone read up the middle and and just beat teams with that, but it wasn't working. And so now they spread them out, and they're basically they've got more speed in the backfield. And Mark Ingram's gone, and Gus Edwards is you know sort of the backup. J.K. Dobbins can press the edge, and so they're spreading them and shredding them, and I think it's worked really well. So instead of that three tight end, you know, maul everybody. They're basically spreading it out and and just and just winning in that way. So they've done a great job schematically changing the way they play, and they're dominating everybody. Their schedule hasn't been so good, but Baltimore is the higher ceiling of these two teams because of their defense. If their defense shows up and they play like they can on offense, they could smoke this team. And I think that's where that three-and-a-half-point uh, line comes in. Okay, yeah. I, I, I really think it comes down to uh, LJAX, really. I mean, yes. he – we uh, we saw him flame out last year, you know, and that's the thing. That's what I look at quarterbacks. I look at quarterbacks, how they deal with adversity, how they deal with trying to come from behind. And he wasn't able to do that last year. Now, here's the, the anti-LJX. He's now got the Titans, the team that destroyed him last year. So is that in the back of his mind? Okay, so that's the negative side of it. The positive side is... <clears throat> As opposed to last year where everybody was on the LJAX train because by then he was just like the MVP um, and we were disappointed. This year we're not quite as enamored with him. We, we kind of know his limitations and therefore this could be the time that he actually um, becomes that quarterback that really comes of age and matures and overcomes um, adversity of the past and actually takes it to the next level. So I agree with you on, on all accounts. Yeah, it's going to be a fun game for sure. That much, I mean, almost no matter what happens, it's going to be it's going to be very entertaining. I'm super excited for Sunday morning, waking up and watching that game. Or for you, uh, I think it's what is it Thursday afternoon or whatever. I forget what it is. Time change kind of is difficult for me. Um, math is not my strong suit. Anyway, moving on. Bears at Saints is that middle game. Uh, I don't know how high they could make this line before I would bet the Bears. Um, right now it's nine and a half. I think it was eight and a half on on Sunday night, but it, it's creeping. It's like ten points. Um, Bears at Saints. I mean, imagine if the uh, Superdome was filled, they could make this line fifteen, and I would take the Saints. Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm not. But I'm not, not too sure. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. I mean, the narrative. Um, obviously. All of us that are pulling for Drew Brees to win a you know a Super Bowl again and then retire you know like go out on top, I mean I think all of us have that kind of in the back of our minds. We would like to see that. Though I'll I'll have to say that you know Mitchell Trubisky um, not been great but not been bad, um, and I think in his only playoff game he lost to a like a, a last second field goal or their kicker missed a field goal back in the day against maybe the. The Eagles, if I'm not mistaken, um, he's he's got a lot to prove because he's playing for his 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 future. So really, this is a uh, rehearsal game for him, a huge game. And the Bears defense is good. The Saints just as a playoff team in general, just over the years, I've been, they've won only one Super Bowl under um, what's his name, the coach uh, Sean Payton and Drew Brees, Sean- yeah. Yeah, so so they're not a prolific playoff team. They they tend to either you know get calls played uh, called against them or whatever. But um, it it's still winnable for the Bears. I don't think it's probable, but I don't think necessarily that uh, I would go much higher than what the line is now. I I, I just think that 
uh, the Bears are more competitive than we think. Well, they're competitive defensively, like and and we look at it. Both defenses are good. They're eighth and ninth in uh, third downs, so you know they're both going to get teams off the field on third. Uh, they're they're both very good defenses. I'll give them that all day long. Um, where you lose me though is the Bears are second to last in uh, converting on third down. They just don't convert, uh, and they're there's a huge turnover difference. I mean, they're 23rd. The Saints are fourth in the NFL in turnover differential. So the Saints take care of the football. Drew Brees is their quarterback. They've got a lot of different ways to beat you. Um, they have Taysom Hill, which I think just changes the game when they need it. And so if whatever reason the the sort of the Drew Brees thing isn't working, they can switch on the fly and become a, a Lamar Jackson-type offense real real quickly. You know, So they, they play that way. They play – very uniquely, I don't look. They they could shit a brick here, but I just don't see it happening. I think the Saints will be ready to go. Um, Trubisky has been better. I'll give you that. But you know, look, it's Detroit, Houston, Minnesota, and Jacksonville where we thought he was good. Okay, yeah, all right. You know, okay. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't win the game for them. Uh, you know, he 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 had forty six and forty two attempts in the two Green Bay games. 240 and 250 yards. I mean, it's 5.3 and 6 yards per attempt. So in games where it kind of matters, he has a hard time pushing the ball down the field. Um, You know, he he had a couple big plays against Minnesota, but for the most part, that's what he is. I mean, a couple of soft defenses, he's pushed the ball down the field. Otherwise, he's 5 or 6 yards in attempt. His completion percentage has been good. But again, against bad competition, I think this New Orleans team – uh, if they're prepped for it, I think they have a chance of really making them look bad on offense. Um, I don't think the run game will get anything going. And, you know, I, I, I'm looking for the Saints to to win going away. Yep. Yep. I agree. I was just playing devil's advocate, but I, I really think it's really the Saints game to lose. They're just a stronger team. I don't think they have right. a, a tough time in the playoffs in the first round. I think maybe after this round will be interesting, but I think, yeah, they're going to get through no problem. Yeah, I mean, look, if Trubisky makes me a, a, a makes me wrong, then good for him. I mean, I'm not rooting against him. I mean, you know, I, I never re- well. I guess sometimes I'm rooting against people, but for the most part, it's just I, I'm just calling it like I see it. And Trubisky, you know, all this sort of I think it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors with his sort of quote unquote success. By the way, hey, just uh, this is for you, Gemmo, if you're listening, and Rish, if you're listening, all my Bears fans. At the beginning of the season, Mark, I bet. Uh, my my number one over under bet was the Bears. Do you know what their preseason over under was? No idea. For wins? No. Eight and a half. And they ended, they ended up, being... up at eight and eight. Wow. That that yeah, you, that was a lot closer than I would have guessed. They I didn't realize right? they had an eight and a half. Well, I would definitely have gone the under. Not not knowing that. <laughs> right? Not knowing that I would be like biting my nails the final week of the season. Yeah. Wow. Well, when they were like five and one, I was like, I lost this bet. Like, I mean, and then I was like, no, I'm still in it. This team is dog shit. And they lost like five or six in a row, come back to 500. And then they, you know, win some games down the stretch with that soft schedule and, you know, backdoor, uh, backdoored it. But yeah, it was my surest bet. I was, you know, just being rude to Bears fans about it, like, you know, eat it. It's definitely the, the worst over-under on the books. And, boy, Vegas is always good, aren't they? <laughs> they are, man. Holy moly. Un- unbelievable. I was, like, sweating it. So, hey, one, one last game we'll touch before we get into the real meat and potatoes of this one. And we're going a little long, but 
what's new here on on the undrafted um browns at steelers steelers favored by four at home uh what do you like here now it's up to six excuse me so steelers favored by six at home oh my gosh well like honestly looking at this slate if i had to pick two two upsets that I think have a real legitimate chance. I really think the Titans have a legitimate chance to beat the Ravens. And I do think that the, uh, the Browns could, could, you know, beat the Steelers. But that being said, you know, you were talking about the Chicago Bears at 5-1. and one. When they were 5-1, and one, I was just telling all my friends, like, this is the worst 5-1 and one team out there. And then um, later on in the season, as the uh, Browns were close to making the playoffs, maybe making the playoffs – I'm like, you know what? These guys really don't deserve to make the playoffs. I don't care, um, you know, they, of their record or anything. Honestly, I just don't think the Browns deserve to be in the playoffs. And I'm sorry, Browns fans. I really think, and, it, you know, they barely beat a Mason Rudolph-led team last week. And um, as bad as the Steelers have been playing, honestly, they, they really hit a low at the wrong time. I really think that this is going to be the game that turns them around. I really think – I saw some glimpses in the last game just who is being utilized. Don't just rely on Deontay Johnson. If that is your – you know, if you look at the the average um, yards per attempt all year, it's been just kind of strange to me. But you've got Chase Claypool. You've got Juju Smith-Schuster. You have weapons other than Deontay <laughs> right. Johnson. So use those guys too. You You – I really think that this is going to be a turnaround game for the Steelers. I think the Steelers, even though um, it's a very high six points, I am actually shocked by that. But at the same time, I think they're going to do it. I think it's going to be a blowout. I think the Steelers are going to blow out the Browns. I'm sorry, Baker Mayfield truthers, but it's going to happen. Wow, I love this. You know, I, I, I don't know what to make of this game because it's one of those division games, and division games are always a little screwy. Um, <clears throat> you're right. They didn't really – it's not really the third time they play because the last time they played, you know, it was Baker Mayfield against some backups and certainly not, um, you know, Ben and <clears> – excuse me, although Ben has been, you know, uh, looking a little old from time to time. Uh, their, their, their yards per attempt are kind of dog shit, and, you know, they could be – they could, they should have been in the market for a quarterback, and they're probably going to be in the market for a quarterback uh, going forward. And speaking of quarterbacks, it is time for the twenty twenty one off season. And and Mark, we're going to start with the quarterbacks. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I didn't say what I who I thought was going to win there. I just I copped out. You're right. I jumped right into the quarterback. I'm getting excited. So. I'll satiate you, and I'll tell you, I, I, it's going to be hard to pick Baker Mayfield on the road against a great defense. So give me Pittsburgh in an ugly game where they just sort of find a way. But you know, if you're telling me that Nick Chubb doesn't like, you know, go for like 222 yards and three touchdowns, and somehow they just, you know, they just steamroll him, and Cleveland wins, you know, 27 to 14, I could see that too. So it's it's certainly possible, but uh, I'll, I'll put my mouth. Uh, and my money on Pittsburgh to to take care of business against a Cleveland team that just, like you say, just isn't ready yet. Um, but we are ready. We're ready for quarterbacks. We're ready for running backs. We're ready for it all. I know that you play in a lot of, you know, uh, college or at least some college uh, fantasy football leagues. So a lot of these guys are very familiar to you. I will say that for those listening at home, my process sort of starts right now. And 
a lot of what I do process-wise, I listen to smart people like Mark, like uh, a lot of the people I'm going to have on in the next several weeks, uh, by the way, which is going to be dope. Um, you know, I've got a, a, a lot of, a lot of great friends, including some, 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 some bigger names and some people that really know what's up. Um, but I want to start off with Mark to start off the 2021 season. Cause he knows his shit. And, um, you know, we, we start with quarterback evaluation. I, obviously it has to start with Trevor Lawrence. I, is there any doubt in your mind that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a top 12 to 15 quarterback in the NFL at all? I mean, there, there's always a chance. I mean, we, we all we all love Baker Mayfield coming up, speaking of the last game, and he has not been what we expected. So I'm not saying that Trevor Lawrence is Baker Mayfield because they're different quarterbacks altogether. And chances are he's a guy that uh, basically for from a very short, like a long time, basically when he began uh, right off the bat, he's been almost like groomed to be the number one quarterback, the number one pick of this year's draft. So there's a lot of people willing this guy. So I think the chances of him being successful, a, a top 12 quarterback in the future is, is, is very high, but you know, like with everything, there's always guys that we thought were going to do much better. And, and these guys go to bad teams and bad organizations. So there's a lot more, uh, we don't know who the coach is, if, assuming that he goes to Jacksonville Jaguars. We don't know who the coach is. We don't know a lot of things. So, so as, as a prospect, as a raw talent, yes, he has all the goods. It all depends on does he have the supporting cast? Does he have the support like a Josh Allen has around him in Buffalo? Or does he have, you know, does he end up having a, a, a supportless situation where he has to really be better than he even is. So that's the question. So all it depends on a situation. He's got the raw talent to do to be the best quarterback out there. Yeah, and I, I think um, you know to answer my question to you is I, I don't I, I don't have any doubts as to the to whether or not he's going to be a top twelve to fifteen quarterback in the NFL. I think he's going to be above average. He has a ceiling of elite. He has a ceiling of best quarterback we've ever seen. Why? Because he sort of comps to Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning type of player, right? Like that's the type of prospect we're looking at. On top of the fact that he's got some wheels, uh, he does have you know subtle Konami code uh, tendencies that are that are going to unlock him as a as a rusher. But he doesn't need to be a runner. He's just such a great passer. He's got such a great base. Uh, you know, and, and and that's sort of just he stays above his feet at all times. He's always so balanced and he's just a he just looks so pure as a thrower. He's got a he's got a very live arm. He can hit the field. He can hit all parts of the field uh, with rhythm and, and 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 velocity. You just see it. He appears to understand pocket awareness, He which, you know, again, with with that team, he doesn't have to face as much pressure, although this year a little bit more. Right. We, we actually. We'll learn more from him in a, in a more of a down year this year than we did, you know, with everything just sort of clicking. Um, that's what I'll be looking at this year's film to try and see if he can, you know, uh, what his pocket awareness is, what is, what is, you know, how, how he reads defenses, whether he's able to get from, you know, first read, second read to third read. He lets go of the ball quickly. You know, a lot of these guys have so much time that, you know, they're four, five, six seconds in the pocket before they let go of the ball, and they're never going to see that in the NFL, and the game speeds up, and and that's a little bit of what's happening, I think, to Tua, um, you know, which is why he's not throwing the ball downfield, is that he's not used to the time. 
that that he has to get rid of the ball, which, of course, with that Alabama offensive line, he was able to do so. Topic for another day. Uh, not trying to throw throw dirt on Tua, but we've seen it. It hasn't been great. With with Trevor, I think he he just has all that 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 quick release. Um, you know, he, he's such a his mechanics are so perfect that he's able to let go of the ball as soon as he sees it. And, you know, from from impulse to effect, it's he's as quick as there is. So he's able to see it and get it there very, very quickly. Um, and that's really what what is next level. Now, accuracy, he certainly shows that uh, he's been accurate. He looks like he's accurate. So in sort of almost every single way that you could define what a great prospect is, he checks those boxes. So for me, he's the clear 1.01 in a, in a, in a, um, in a super flex draft. Um, I'm all about taking running backs, uh, sometimes ahead of quarterbacks in super flex leagues. Uh, not here, Trevor Lawrence, lock him in 1.01. You got to do it because the ceilings there and really the floors there. I think, you know, that's the thing is we talked about Baker, you know, I liked Baker a lot, and I thought he was a great quarterback prospect. But, you know, he was sh- small. He was coming from a system. He transferred. I mean, he was prolific and effective and efficient and feisty and all the rest of it. But he just wasn't the prospect that Trevor Lawrence was, as you point out. And um, and, and so I think, yeah, this is the guy that you have to just kind of lock in and take. Um, you know, I think he's, he's, his value will be there for a long, long time to come. I think the question sort of starts at, at two – and, you know, there's been a lot of people up and down on, on Justin Fields. I think his prospect profile is great. The question is, you know, all those other things that I was mentioning is sort of, you know, processing of information, how quickly he can do so. Can he play in a pro-style offense? Can he be more than a one or two-read quarterback? Uh, he certainly has a lot of that Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott to him, where he's that big body, uh, able to run for it. He's he's fast, uh, but rugged. Um, he's got a a good arm, not a great arm, but certainly good enough for the NFL. That's for sure. Appears to be accurate. Uh, obviously, whether you have more uh, uh, more touchdowns and incompletions or some crazy thing at some point, whatever the, that stat was. I mean, he's he's just he's just awesome. Um, but he's had a couple stinkers. He's played for a great team, and and you know the the, the jury's out insofar as he's not as clean a prospect as Trevor Lawrence. I guess the question would be, Mark, what have you seen in watching college football in terms of you know I would say first of all, let me let me disclaimer: the quarterback position is the hardest position to evaluate, probably in real life, but also especially for fantasy football because you know I, it, running back's probably the easiest, um, you know. But this is the hardest. What, what what have you seen and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think more in real life than in fantasy because, again, you're looking at Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. Um, those guys are all, you know, throwing and running quarterbacks. So for fantasy, um, you kind of lean towards those guys. But in real life, it's really tough. It's really tough. I just don't. To me, it's always like I one of the characteristics, and it's and it's tough. But I look at I look at bigger games. How do they how do they do in bigger games? And that's my kind of little knock against Trevor Lawrence because he's not been so good in the bigger games lately. And then you saw Justin Fields this past week, who had who had actually fallen down to like quarterback number three after Zach Wilson usurped him, uh, has this game where he's. You know, he's coming off two bad games. He gets hit in the first half, and he looks like he's not going to make it. And then he ends up throwing six touchdowns to his six incompletions and dominates that game. There was a lot of metal shown in that game. 
And I, I really think at this point in time, he's a little bit like Trevor Lawrence for years, for the last few years, he's been the number two. And I think it'd be foolish for any of us to go against the trend to be kind of cocky, to be kind of different, to say, you know what? I'm going to pick Trevor Lawrence as the 101. I'm picking Justin Fields as the 102. And if I'm wrong on either of them, so be it. The, the chances of me being right are much greater. Yeah, I think that's probably a great process, right? So I'm, I'm so glad you answered the question that way because we can get all fancy-dancy about what we think of these prospects. But if we, if we you know, to use a term, zoom out and start looking at this thing from – you know, from, from 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 all angles, yeah. Justin Fields was this sort of one B for so long until he sort of laid an egg, and then everyone's like, "Well, maybe he's not." You know, and I have some issues. I have some questions. There are similar questions that I had about Jalen Hurts. You know, but he's just been so good. And you're right for fantasy reasons, he has this sort of unbelievable upside of of this sort of Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson sort of combo guy who could be you know easily the QB1 um you know if 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 he's if he's adequate as an NFL thrower right um so yeah you can't pass that type of thing up especially in superflex league so I'm with you 100% he he's definitely there he's an upside play for sure you know it's kind of the same reason and I didn't have this pod but on 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 Twitter and as wherever you know I would just scream out the back door and and the neighbors would, you know, as many people as could hear it. But Jalen Hurts was that upside play, right? In a one quarterback dynasty league, you're not looking for Jared Goff. You're looking for Jalen Hurts, right? You're trying to hit an absolute home run. You're trying to hit on on Lamar Jackson. So, you, you know, in a one quarterback league, Lamar Jackson was a better pick than Baker Mayfield. In a two quarterback league, well, you know, uh, Baker was sort of the safer floor. So maybe he's the better pick. You, you get my drift, right? So, Justin Fields is that player this year for sure. I mean, obviously there's some others like Trey Lance is another one. Uh, he, he's sort of that Jalen Hurts type player, if you if you ask me. And let's move on. Uh, you know, after Fields, it's it's one of those two guys, I guess. Would you are you just firmly Zach Wilson at number three, or does Trey Lance or any of the other guys have have a shot for being your your quarterback three in this draft? Well, again, uh, it's so early to tell. We don't know landing spots. There's a lot. There's a lot more. Sure. That's why. That's why. Looking at purely at um, uh, ability, and the thing is, it's interesting is Trey Lance didn't play this year, so right. he played one game or something. It was just anyway. So, so we're basing Trey Lance on last year, and Trey Lance last year was amazing. So, and if we look at uh, Zach Wilson last year, Zach Wilson was not amazing, but he had an amazing year this year. So, it's again it, one thing I want to point out: wh- whatever process you do, um, it's interesting if you look at. Um, Guys that did, you know, mediocre or not so good last year, but turned it around and had a great 2020. A lot of people are moving them up, like the Trey Sermons of the world. And then the people like that had a great year last year and stunk it up this year, like the the Chubba Hubbards are now down on them. The question is, if Chubba Hubbard didn't do very well last year, but did well this year, if we just reversed his stat lines, does that really make a difference? That's the question I have for just people in general, because people have off years and good years. The fact of the matter is, whether it was last year or this year, do we favor the re- the recency bias? Maybe I don't yes. know. These are yes. things I think yeah, so. I, I know we do, but is that is that is that the right process? Is it is, is it well? He's better now than he was last year, 
or was there more to it than that? So these are things to think about. I think with Zach Wilson, um, what I like about this kid, to be honest with you, um, I, I've, I've seen him play. I think he has all the talent to, to do well. He has all the talent to fail as well. I think you know he's a bit of a, a wild card. What I like about him is I love his moxie. Now, this is something that I loved in Gardner Minshew, rest in peace. And uh, I love in uh, guys like Mahomes. Like these are guys that, you know, when it comes down to the to the uh, bowl game, he goes out and he just dominates. And he's he's got this attitude. Now that can work for you and against you. You know, we've got the Mahomes of the world. Then you have the Baker Mayfields. And then even farther down the line, you have the, uh, what's up? Johnny Manziel's. They, yeah, exactly, the Johnny Manziel's. So it can work for you and against you. So it, why I like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields as my one and two is I've seen them for years. I think Justin Fields is a better thrower than Lamar Jackson. I think he's got more of an upside of a Kyler Murray to a Russell Wilson type to me. So it, yeah. it all depends on his you know, ability to make good decisions and stuff down the road. But Zach Wilson's a wild card, but if he pays off, he could be the the top quarterback in this class. He could be the Josh Allen of this class. But he's a Josh Allen that that uh, fantasy um, analysts seem to like. So that's also going for him. Yeah, yeah, I think when you said moxie, what you meant was the thing that you like about Zach Wilson was the fact that he took two cheerleaders to his prom. Is that what you're trying to say? I mean, and the guys from Utah. I mean, that, that's even better. I mean, that that just yeah, yeah. So I I, I definitely have uh, Zach Wilson as my number three. Trey Lance is uh, my number four. Um, and then I actually have it like 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 you have it on the show sheet. I have Mac Jones ahead of uh, Kyle Trask. And then I just want to throw in that Desmond Ritter as needs to yeah. be there for number seven. So. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm yeah. jumping the gun. I'm jumping the gun and lumping them all together. No, you're together, doing but. great. That's what the people want to hear. I mean, you know, we, we do want to hear where people have it. And and for me, I think that's kind of going to be up until the NFL draft. We're going to hear all about these guys. And I think that's about right. Um, you know, we've we've learned over the years not to, not to draft quarterbacks too deep. I mean, Brady, of course. Minshew had a moment. Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson. Like some of these guys were a little bit – but um, we kind of knew Russell Wilson was good. It's just that he was short, and that's why he fell in the draft. Dak is an interesting one, man, because, you know, I mean, he kind of – I mean, think about it. You know, he he's one of those diamonds in the rough. I mean, you just don't see that very often uh, in, in the NFL. So, you know, what I guess I'm getting at, those are outliers. You really want to stick to drafting quarterbacks that are drafted in the top 15 picks. I mean, certainly in the first round and certainly in the first round and – early second I mean if they're still there late second I mean even Hertz was early second you know um so yeah you don't want to do hey, yeah he's a seventh rounder but he's gonna I tell you he's my guy um yeah that's fine but uh you know don't don't do that actually just take shots on those guys when you can but don't ever fall in too much love I mean I think I was in love with Cole McDonald last year and you know he got released. I'm over it. Like I'm over it. You know, yeah, <laughs> picked him yeah. in a couple of fifth rounds and you move on. I'm not saying Ritter is that guy, but you know, he's just sort of one of those guys that, yeah, you, you might be right. And if you are, he may be that Russell Wilson type where he, he, he vaults up. Um, but if not, you know, you gotta be able to cut bait early. These are names to keep, keep an eye on. Where do you think, I mean, I don't know if you know this, I, I haven't looked, where do you think uh, Ritter could be drafted? Like how, how high in the NFL draft? Well, I mean, there's certain sites like the Draft Network that have him above Kyle Trask. 
in their evaluation. Huh. So, um, again, we don't know. Like, uh, Jake Fromm went a lot later than I thought he would last year. Um, you know, it, right. it really depends on, on on a lot of things. But I really think, there, and there's talk that any of these seven can go in the first round. I don't think that's going to happen, but hmm. maybe all seven of them go in the first two rounds. And it's possible. And I really think, honestly, from my initial evaluation, these seven, and, and again, there are tiers within this group, of course. But w- these seven are miles ahead of the next group. I, I really think, I think that. I think, yeah. I think you're right. And I think that they will almost certainly all go in the first two rounds. I think that's goes. I think it's almost no doubt at this point. I, I, I would guess. But again, you know, uh, we've been. Again, I, I like to call it the Hakeem Butler Colorary, and that, and that is basically yeah. uh, the fantasy fantasy football analysts have this kind of you know we're, we're quick cocksure you know we we're like well we know this is true he's good he's going to be in the top you know top two rounds and then we find out later when Hakeem Butler was drafted in the fourth and all of us are looking at each other so dumbfounded realizing that you know what that's the interesting thing that's why I love Debbie NFL rookie prospects is. Our evaluations as fantasy analysts and as a community, and, and it's, again, it's a community that feeds off each other. And so we build up players, we, we, we knock them down, whatever. Our evals versus actual real NFL teams sometimes is not aligned. And so this is, I'm they're, assuming. They're not aligned. And, no. and sometimes we're right and sometimes they're right. I mean, you think about it, like, uh, did any of the undroppables – or anybody that you know that has is worth a lick in the fantasy world have Henry Ruggs as their wide receiver one. Yeah, no, I, I like I, I know that you have no Henry Ruggs. I have no Henry Ruggs, and there's a reason for that. And he and and actually, and even in even in my all my dynasty leagues, he fell behind other wide receivers, and and I agreed with that, and I still didn't pick yeah. him up when, you know. So yeah. I mean, yeah, sometimes absolutely. I mean, you should have he should have slipped into the third round. And that's where he that's where I was letting him go, because I was taking Brian Edwards, LaVisca Chenault, Antonio Gibson, yep. even Lynn Bowden. I would that was where I was like, eh, we'll see here. You know, but that was right around the three point oh one where I was starting to give him consideration, you know, late second people drafting him in the late first, early second. To me, you're giving up on T Higgins and ah, you can't. I mean, Denzel Mims and players like that. I mean, it just didn't make any sense to me. But just just going back real quick, I just think that, you know, look, Jacksonville and New York, they're taking quarterbacks, right? Okay, great. <clears throat> Cincinnati doesn't need a quarterback. Pick four, they, uh, Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. They're a player for a quarterback. Like, yeah, they may yeah. not draft a quarterback, but they need one. I mean, how long is this Matt Ryan thing? Carolina, mm, kind of need a quarterback. Um, you know, I mean, they're not they're not done uh, with, with their quarterback. The, the number six is an interesting one, Miami Dolphins. I mean, I don't know what they know about Tua, but I, I don't think he's a surefire uh, Hall of Famer at this point. Philadelphia? I mean, what the hell? I mean, obviously, they're, they got their own quarterback issues, so they're about drafting a quarterback. Chargers, no. <clears throat> Cowboys, no. Giants should, but won't. Detroit, they're, they've been talked about uh, uh, as, a, as a potential landing spot for a quarterback. Um, you know, San Francisco? Absolutely. They could draft a quarterback. Denver, they're either going to sign a quarterback or draft a quarterback. Minnesota, they could draft a quarterback. The Patriots certainly need a quarterback. That's for sure. Um, Chicago could draft a quarterback. Uh, Baltimore, no. Washington could draft a quarterback. 
um, you know, we're back to the second Miami pick. That may not be a crazy spot for them to consider drafting a quarterback if there's, you know, one of that the the the, the Trask, Mac Jones, Rudder, Ritter, excuse me, right? You know, um, Tampa Bay could, I don't know, whatever, you know, uh, Indianapolis needs a quarterback. So you just go down. Uh, New Orleans Saints need a quarterback. Pittsburgh Steelers need a quarterback. Uh, Green Bay needs a quarterback. Ha ha. Sorry, Jordan. Love. Um, but, but right. So all these teams need a quarterback. And so there's just too many of them. And when you have this many, this seven sort of prospects, I think they're going to kind of get shoved up there. They always do anyway, don't they? Right. Like, you know, even the bad ones kind of get moved up. So I think that, you know, certainly by pick 40, most of these guys are going to be off the board. They should be. They should be. I mean, I mean, teams should uh, almost approach uh, real life drafts like we do Superflex. Always draft a quarterback. If, if there's a decent one that you think has a chance of making it, pick them up when you can. Even even if you don't need a quarterback as much as uh, you think you do, and you'd rather have that uh, shiny running back or wide receiver. I mean, really, this is a great seven potential quarterback class. We didn't have that Absolutely. last year. We're not going to have that next year. Do it now. Like, this is your chance. So if you are the Atlanta Falcons, for example, and you've got the fourth pick, and this is probably the first time they've had a, a pick this great in a while, and it might be the last time, you've got to pounce on that now. Even if you think Matt Ryan's got another four years left, perfect. Get get your Zach Wilson and yes. rest him for four years. Do it. Do what the Green Bay Packers did with, with Aaron Rodgers. Rest your quarterback. That's the problem I have with a lot of these teams is, and, and you know, in defense with Tua and others, you know, people are rushing their quarterbacks in there too early. Give them a year. You know, Mahomes sat for a year, and that might that that ended up turning out pretty good. Even if he sat <laughs> right. for even if he sat for two years, people are like, "Well, he's two years older." Well, quarterbacks can play until they're Tom Brady's age anyway. What's the rush? People are rushing. People are rushing quarterbacks when they're not ready, even if they are good. And the problem with somebody like Tua or someone like Jalen Hurts, who may be great quarterbacks, okay, if you rush them, they might lose their confidence. And that's that's the thing about being a quarterback, I think, in a lot of ways. And that's the the quality. That's why that makes that's what makes quarterbacks so difficult to evaluate because they are the brainiacs. They are they are the catalyst, and therefore they have to make a lot more decisions. And if their decision making process, if their confidence is driven to an all-time low, even if they're the best prospect, that can have a huge effect. So I, I'm a big fan of like, you know, all these teams that you mentioned. I mean, a lot of teams need a quarterback. This is time to really move up at the board and get your quarterback because these guys are good, even if you're not expecting to play for the next two or three years. Yeah, I think I think that's so spot on brother um it's amazing but like you're right after pick four you got to figure three quarterbacks are off the board and atlanta should be trading if they're not going to take zach wilson there they ought to be trading that pick i mean we assume that cincinnati's going to pick the uh the offensive tackle there or you know and, and and so atlanta yeah grab them you know just it's just absolutely take that quarterback Zach Wilson or whomever you think is great, but prob- probably uh, Zach Wilson at that point, and uh, and or trade that pick to someone who is going to take him. So I think that's probably what we'll see is that that pick is Zach Wilson, whether the, the Falcons take it or not. Uh, you know, and again, a lot can change as you point out, but as it stands right now, that's certainly what it sounds like is going to happen. And unless you know 
measurables and interviews and further, you know, uh, evidence shows that these guys aren't what we thought they were, which I just don't see happening. Uh, but moving on, you know, I think that really uh, ties up the the quarterbacks in a, in a, in a bow. And in our little uh, uh, super flex mock draft, which, you know, we we kind of winged it a little bit. I, I, there were some mistakes there, but it doesn't matter. We did it as an exercise and it was fun to put it out there for the people and people loved it and it's a lot of fun. But, you know, Insofar as we we got it right, we were we had those quarterbacks all taken by pick two point oh three all all all, uh, all six. Uh, Ritter was a little bit later, and, and I think you stole him a little later. He probably should have gone a little bit sooner. But point being is those quarterbacks were gone by pick two point oh three, and I don't think that's crazy in a super flex draft. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. But what that will do, and why we're so hip on second and third round picks this year, is because. When you stuff those quarterbacks in, you know, on a super flex draft, you you push talent down the board. And when there's only one or two quarterbacks in a draft, well, it doesn't get pushed down that far. Like last year, I mean, it was really you know a two man race with Tua and and Burrow, and then Herbert was kind of who knows, and Hertz was there in the second round, so it was only four in the first. You know, I guess some people like Jordan Love, but you know, he was a little bit later too. I think this year. These guys are just cleaner prospects and certainly more prolific prospects, and they're going to push some of this talent down. And there's a lot of talent. You know, some of what made last year's draft so disappointing was, um, you know, uh, the two guys, uh, three guys actually, Travis Etienne, uh, Najee Harris, and Chuba Hubbard returning to school. Now, Chuba's hurt himself by coming back to school, but Najee and, and Travis Etienne, uh, I mean, these are the clear one and two on, on the board. Uh, have you uh, – you haven't decided for sure already, but do you have one ahead of the other or are you really flip a coin? Because I, I announced today I am just I – am, I am tanked on this decision. I have no idea. I think I'm leaning Najee Harris. What say you? I don't even know if they're my number one. <laughs> I'm not there, there we yet. There go. Yeah. Talk to me. Um, Javante Williams. Okay. So he's, he's your in- three for sure then. Those are the three that I'm looking at right now. I, I I've looked at a little bit little bit of film and looked at some uh, analytics, and those are the three that really are kind of at their top tier. Yeah, uh, now would be a, a pretty good time for you to tell the people a little bit about you. You did a a, a great um, uh, you have a a great little um, model, I guess, is what you'd call it, by using some of the things that you know we've all discussed and that you've sort of ascertained matter uh, to running back prospects and. You know your your model sort of uh, had Antonio Gibson right there up at the top. So obviously your model was paying attention to whatever was making Antonio Gibson awesome because he is, and the rest of it was great too because JT was right there, and you know uh, it, it really did the did the job here last year. Um, have you put anything into the model? It's just really not not there yet because we don't have a lot of the the information like uh, draft capital and forty times and things of the nature, but. Um, Tell tell the people a little bit about it, or at least uh, you know your process. Well, actually, uh, Gibson was the best prospect according to the model. I added uh, draft capital, which um, put put uh, Edwards Hilaire at the top spot, actually, which is uh, kind of surprised me because again, you know, sometimes you don't always disagree, or always agree with your model, but uh, Gibson was miles ahead of everyone else for the model's sake. The, the, the part going into the draft, you mean? Yeah, going into the draft. Going into the draft, and then once he was drafted, I think in the 
uh, early third round that kind of drove it down. Washington wasn't exciting and all that kind of stuff. But but the thing is, I mean, we're lo- always looking at profiles. We're looking at athleticism. We're looking at BMI. We're looking at, you know, production, which is all out there, all statistics. But the one um, metric that I really find interesting is the efficiency metric. And that is, um, I found a site that you can get um, individual runs of like zero, like less than zero yards, zero to three yards, one to four, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I find that, you know, offensive lines are responsible for anything minus two, four yards is, is a lot dependent on the offensive line. So anything above that is basically the player freed from the offensive line in space. So that is kind of like, that's the, t- that to me is, is this player dynamic? Is this player athletic? Is this player shifty? Is this player electric? So that that's the so seeing so looking at that kind of measurements, looking at running backs and basing it on that metric, I that that was an important metric for me that uh, that I think maybe lacks in other models. Yeah, it sure does in mine. I mean, and that's why I love you uh, because I get to use your awesomeness to to my advantage, and and I will. And that's part of my process is is you know I look at a lot of things, but I also look at a lot of other people who I know are 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 smarter or as smart as me or smarter in a different way, whatever the case. However you want to look at, it. I mean, just people I value, and and you know I don't like to have these these strident opinions that are like. Travis Etienne with no chance anybody else, because you, you become blind and now you're just looking for confirmation bias the whole way through. I like to be a little uncertain and ultimately really what we're doing when we're, when we're doing player eval, if I can say this loud and over and over again is we're uh, Mike Lou said it today too. And it's been something that it, it's always been part of my process. We're, we're not betting on yeses and nos. We're betting on ranges of outcomes. You know, we're betting on, is this guy like a 72% chance of being successful or an 89% chance or a 22% chance? I mean, in other words, even a guy with a 22% chance could still be Walter Payton. It's possible. Yes, I sure. Not very probable. It's possible, not probable. And, and so you're trying to just stack up as many, you know, uh, 90 percenters as you can you know that's just what you want to do and you're going to be wrong sometimes what led me away from henry ruggs it wasn't that i didn't like him it's just that he didn't have enough positive data points to make me think he was going to be good did he have the the chance of being the best in the whole world of course dude is a freak athlete and he played at alabama yeah dude just that alone you could just say that alone and it'd be like yeah he could be the best ever it's possible but it wasn't probable insofar as what we look at. And so I think that's important is to understand that, especially at this point, you're just trying to collect data, talk through it um, and, and, and continue. You want to be real patient leading up to your draft because your draft picks are worth more as you get closer. And as soon as everybody else is a little bit more certain, you know, after they've watched some guy running his underwear at 4.39 or whatever, and that gets them excited and, and you weren't as excited on that prospect. And now you've got the 1.03 and you can trade it for several first round picks going forward. And who cares, right? This is what you've got to do. You've got to wait till that that pick is on the clock because you just don't have enough information. But right now, we're just trying to uh, start to dig, and we're digging. And I, I agree with you. Javante Williams is my my uh, my RB three. I took him at the two point oh one in the mock. I think <clears> it's it's Harris, Etn, Javante. So maybe I should have asked you who's your RB four on the show sheet. I had asked who's who's RB three. I think we both agree there. So maybe the bigger question is 
right now. Who's RB4? Well, again, going back to the Zach Wilson-Trey Lance argument, Trey Lance did not play this year, but he played last year. In this case, you know, we have if we went by last year, it would definitely be uh, Chuba, Chuba Hubbard, and uh, because right. he had because he made the you know, and this is I, I think about this a lot because um, it happened to a few running backs in the past, kind of like uh, who's the guy with uh, Washington? Um, uh, Bryce Love. Bryce Love had yeah. a year that he just tore it up and decided to go back to school. Then he tore his ACL, and the rest is history. What would have happened if he if he actually declared after that season? Same thing with Chuba Hubbard. I really think that he was on top of the world. I know he wanted to go back and reunite with his friends and and you know maybe win uh, a bowl or whatever. But in hindsight, it was a, it was the worst decision to make, and it's really cost him. But I still believe in the talent, so he's my number four. Um, as as good as Trey Sermon has looked, and he has looked good, and he's big, yeah. and I like. And and everything, and I mean, he just looks like a menace out there. Um, I'm a little bit uh, hesitant because, again, it's rec- recency bias. So I, I I have him as my number five, but uh, I still have Hubbard ahead. I know I I know he's gone down in a lot of fantasy circles. I'm curious to see what in real life teams are going to view him now that he's had this kind of you know half off season decide to pull out and get ready for the. Uh, uh, NFL draft. Yeah. I, yeah. If you asked me this a year ago, it was clearly for me, it would have been Chuba, Etienne and Harris as the top three. Um, now it's Javante uh, right there in the top three. And then I, I, I don't know. I have a lot of questions. I have more questions about Chuba than I did last year. And that's probably a good thing. I mean, we probably would have missed a little bit on him last year. I, I'm not so sure uh, about Chuba. I think he's sort of a, He's sort of a speed back. I, I, I've sort of equated him to Tevin Coleman, um, you know, probably better and faster. But, you know, that sort of it, – it, look, if he lands – if Chuba lands in San Francisco, um, yeah, he, I, he may be my RB3. So, you know, that that sort of uh, match to uh, – first of all, it's a great system, but the system is a system match for him. Um and and so I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, Chuba certainly hurt himself. I think he's gonna he may slip in the draft too, which you know draft capital matters. So I think he he he'll probably blaze at a, at a good weight. So he'll have a good speed score, but uh, we'll have to see how explosive he measures and how agile he measures. I, I don't know that it matters too much unless he's off the charts because I think we've seen him. He's not exactly uh, that agile out there. Um, he is a little bursty, but he's just not. You know, he doesn't make a lot of guys miss. He doesn't have that. You know, I know it's a it's a tired phrase, but that contact balance where he's able to, you know, take contact, stay running, and move on. He's he's sort of if he breaks it, he's gone. But if not, he's probably going down. Uh, you, you mentioned Trey Sermon. You know, obviously Trey Sermon with, you know, he kind of started to come on at Oklahoma, and then, you know, he didn't do much. I mean, you know, last year in Oklahoma, his junior year, he had fifty four carries. I mean in 10 games. I mean, it was, it was nothing, you know? And, and so obviously something wasn't right there in Oklahoma, uh, transfers to Ohio state and even started slow here. And, you know, obviously with the, the couple of games he's played, look, he was always a, a big time prospect, which I, I will give him a lot of credit for. In other words, you know, obviously if situation wasn't very good there, he's always been a pretty good yards per carry guy. 
Um, he's big. He's got that contact balance, and he's got a little explosion. He's a guy that I think will will test his way up the boards. Uh, certainly, you know this sort of recency bias up the board as well. So, but the question will be just how rich is it to acquire Trey Sermon, and will that be worth it? I think anywhere in that early second. What the hell else could you be looking for? So he's probably going to be at, at his at his value. He'll probably be a great pick. But just like we saw with uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last year, if something wonky happens and all of a sudden he you know he's being talked about as a top three or four pick, I'm out. It's also difficult uh, just to add to this. In general, this year is difficult because we are looking at a COVID year of production, and so some teams have right. played 13 games. Some teams have played six some teams have played none therefore we actually have to go back i think this is the first time that i'm actually going to go back and look at the last two seasons and maybe separately and together lump them together whatever so again it's it's a difficult like it's, it's difficult to begin with because you know it's like you're you're going into a, an immense darkness because there's a greater pool of players competing for smaller amount of positions in the NFL level. So the probability is low to begin with. Hitting on one is very low. And so when you do, you're very excited. But because of the lack of data that's in college football, and there is a lack of data, it's it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, all the data that you can get for the NFL compared to the data that you can get for college is, is pretty mind-boggling. And then you add in this little like strange year of, do we count this as a real year? Because some some people like... Uh, Trey Sermon have really blossomed, whereas somebody like Travis Etienne has not. He's not. If you look at his running, not great. What we love about what has happened to him in the last couple of years is that he's he's garnered 38, 43 receptions in, in the short amount of time. So, again, it's a funny year, and therefore I think evaluation is going to be even more wonky. Yeah, you're right on the money. And, <clears throat> you know, I, Travis Etienne for me has been great. I mean, we had questions like literally. So last year we thought he was going to be part of that that big four. We thought it was going to be a big you know five, six, or seven with Acres, Dobbins, Swift, Taylor, Etienne. Etienne is a little light, but he's fast, man. I mean, he is he is the other kind of fast that you just don't see. Um, he has been electric every year. Even this year, like, you know, his off year has been, you know, five and a half yards a carry, 48 catches, 12 and a half yards a catch. Like, you know, holy smokes. So that's his down year. And and it kind of makes sense because that team lost a lot of starters. They're not as good. But if if him being bad is five and a half yards a carry and literally 50 catches, I mean, he's just been a, an all-purpose weapon. We, two years ago, before he came out and was part of that, uh, you know, going into that year, we're like, yeah, man, he you know, he had 17 career catches. He he wasn't very productive with them. He he announced before the season that he was uncomfortable catching the football, which was like, oh my god, that's a big problem for a 200 pound speed back. And then he goes out and posts consecutive years of 37 and 48 catches. Uh, 430 and 588 yards receiving this year. Um, so just, I think he's sort of, you know, he, he can be like this, this sort of all purpose weapon, you know, where it's a little bit like Camaro, where he can catch a lot of passes. He's proven he can do it. He's not just catching dump offs. I mean, he's out, you know, in space. And so I think he's, he's a real weapon in this, in this league. And if he gets the right landing spot, it could be, 
just, you know, the, the, the little hearts in your eyeballs or whatever, you know, um, <clears throat> the next guy though, that I want to talk about, and I'll let you say his name. I don't even know how to say his name. No, I do know how to say his name. I don't know how to spell his name. That's what I don't know how to do. <laughs> but a guy that's actually been, you know, you, you and I have been talking about a little bit behind the, behind the scenes. We hadn't, I hadn't Twittered about it. Uh, I hadn't said anything on the, on the pod, just kind of waiting. And now I'm going to say something on the pod. We're going to talk about it. I feel like we're behind now. Everybody's talking about this guy. I see his name going around Twitter, but you know, I know you have been talking to me about him for a while. Tell us about the the sleeper that you know is now being uncovered all over the place. Are we talking about RS? Yeah, baby. Well, you know what? We haven't even talked about him. To be to be fair, you actually wrote in the sh- uh, the show sheet. You wrote his name, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> you are you would you know? I I think I think you're getting confused with another Oklahoma running back that did not pan out because of injury that we both loved, and that was, um, of course. Mind blown. Can't think of it right now. Um, sixth, se- seventh round or sixth, yeah, seventh round draft pick. Uh, what's his name? Anderson. Um, oh yeah, yeah, Rodney Anderson. Rodney Anderson. So our love for him and that that kind of prototype. Um, you just mentioned uh, Ramondre C- Stevenson, and I was like, wow, like it's almost like you read my mind because he's a guy that I didn't even really look at until lately. Now, if you look at, again, recency bias, but again, a guy like Trey Sermon hasn't really lit it up, hasn't done really much, has been there, been part of a, a, a committee. But this year, like kind of like the uh, the Trey Sermon prototype, but not as um, well-versed, if you look at his final six games of the – I actually is only six games of the season – He's had an incredible season with Oklahoma, so he's he's a he's another guy to ca- kind of keep your eye on. He's big. He's I think he's faster than Sermon. I think um, you know he catches balls. I mean he had quite a few catches, depending uh, you know despite uh, the few games that he played. The knock on him is the same knock that many have on Najee Harris, and that is they're both old regarding uh, uh, running backs. They're older prospects. I think they're both born in uh, 1998, if I'm not mistaken. I'm looking at my pile. Um, anyway, they're older prospects, and that's a knock on running backs. As we know running backs don't uh, have a huge shelf life. So, um, but he looks good. I mean, watch watching the film. He looks twitchy. He for for a big guy, he looks <laughs> yeah. like he's got he's yes. got a lot of moves. He's he actually he actually in a lot of ways he doesn't look at all to me like like Harris. They're both big. But Harris looks like a Derrick Henry out there, kind of like stiff arming his way in and just like powering over people. This guy looks a little bit more finesse, and um, so yeah, he's kind of a bit of a dark horse. And I didn't realize that people were talking about him on Twitter, so I thought it was kind of our little secret that we were unleashing tonight. So no, <laughs> and it's interesting because yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw Willsey talking about him. Um, who else? Uh, I can't remember now. I just I saw it a bunch of times. I'm like. Maybe it's just my phone, you know, it's uh, it's appropriating the information for me. It knows I've been talking about Ramondre Stevens, Stevenson. So, you know, I'll just say it again really loud so my phone knows I want to see all the all the uh, the RS uh, hype. But, you know, uh, yeah, he's he's kind of interesting. I mean, he couldn't really – he did sort of beat out, I guess, uh, Trey Sermon last year. I mean, they were backups to Kennedy Brooks and – you know, but they were both more efficient than than Kennedy Brooks, and maybe that's why he. You know, I, I don't know. I don't follow college that much, but maybe that's why Trey Sermon wanted to, you know, wanted to leave. But this year he's over a hundred yards per game. Um, 
you know, he, he's he's big. He's listed at six foot. Look, Ramondre Stevens is is a senior at Oklahoma. Uh, you're right. He's not young. He's only had uh, two years of production uh, there. Uh, was he a JUCO transfer or some shit like that? Is that right? Do you know? I think that's I right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, I know last year he he showed flashes. I mean, last year he was eight yards a carry, six touchdowns on only 60 carries, 64 carries. Uh, so he didn't get a ton of opportunities, but he was really good with those opportunities. Again, it, it, this year, you know, he's – uh, you know, 7.4 yards per touch. He had uh, 18 catches in only six games. So you're right. He was targeted. He was, you know, six and a half per carry and, and 12 yards a catch. He's listed at six foot 246 here. I've seen him at uh, 5'11, 235 in a couple spots. He's big. He's He's got some uh, some BMI, as we like to say. Um, and, and, and that's what we like to see. Look, if this kid runs fast, I, I think I shared on Twitter, I said, if he runs in the four fives, uh, at his size, if he's you know two thirty five or more, I mean, if he's you know, so we're talking about this sort of AJ Dillon, Derrick Henry style of player, a little bit shorter, I guess, probably a little bit more like AJ Dillon, but just big and 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 like you say, he looks he looks bursty out there for sure. And so, depending on where he gets drafted, I, I think the there was a couple spots, you know, there's a couple draft like the draft network had him at like. I mean, they had him at prospect like four hundred something. They're they're off yeah. off the board, yeah. you know. And and here's a guy I'm talking about as you know, he's kind of like this Antonio Gibson type who the production hadn't really been there. You're gonna have to make some excuses to figure out a way to get him into your top five or ten running backs. But he's a boomer bust. So late in that second round, early in that third round of rookie drafts, this is a guy you want to be targeting because you know he could be this Antonio Gibson type uh, going into 2021. Yeah, the, the, this guy is totally combine dependent, just like uh, Antonio Gibson was. So this is a guy to keep your eye on after the combine, uh, see his results. If they are anything close to Gibson, like they don't have to be Gibson numbers, but close to, then this is a guy that most likely you're going to keep on your radar. Yeah, and we'll go quickly through a couple other quick running backs. I mean, you know, Michael Carter played with uh, Javante Williams. Some people like Carter more uh, because he's a little bit more, you know, make a miss type of guy. But I think Javante's got that NFL build where, you know, Michael Carter might not quite. Uh, obviously, we'll see if the NFL agrees or disagrees. And if they draft Michael Carter first, then we'll have to start looking at that a little bit more. But uh, I think you and I are both in lockstep. But Here's my question is, is do you like Michael Carter as an NFL prospect or, or what? I do, but I think he's small. Um, and here's, here's the interesting right. stat that I wanted to bring up for the uh, pod. And I think Michael Carter had a, a little bit better yards per carry, right? Just maybe. I, I think it was close. Yeah, it was close. I'll look but it up here, while you're talking. But here, here is the, here's the stat. Um, information on first and short, second and short, third and short, fourth and short. So out of 161 carries for Williams, he had 42 first to fourth down short carries. That's 26% of his carries were short yardage. Michael Carter had 12 carries out of 160. He had 7.4%. So we're, we're looking at a huge difference in short yardage. So if you figure, if you put that into the equation, the Javante Williams was used as a short down back, and and there, therefore that does hinder your yards per carry average. So that that's a huge stat I think to really consider 
um, why Javante Williams, I think, really is is a more dominant, not only for size, but he's a more dominant back. Yeah, it's interesting because they were both so damn good, right? I'm looking at their stats now. One, you know, 156 and 157 carries. So they were one carry different. They both had 25 catches. I mean, it's like, you know, they're both right around 1,200 yards rushing. They're both, you know, Michael Carter was better, to your point, eight yards a carry as opposed to 7.3. But look, anything over six is outstanding, really. I mean, seven and eight is ridiculous. So these guys were running all over fools. Javante was 12 yards a catch. He was 10 yards a catch. I mean, yeah, again, who cares? Now, to your point, again, Javante, 19 rushing touchdowns to only nine. So he doubled them up in touchdowns, 22 total touchdowns to 11. So they both averaged about eight yards every time they touched the ball. They both had about 180 touches. They both had about 1,500 you know, scrimmage yards. They're both good. Uh, Michael Carter you know, listed here what I'm looking at. Again, this is why we want to see, but he's listed at only 5'8", 199. And eh, okay, it's a little light in the NFL, and you know we'll see if he's if he's five eight two oh nine or two oh seven. Well, then maybe that BMI starts to come into play, and he can he can sort of take that that punishment in the NFL. Javante listed, uh, I think he's like five ten two twenty. Yeah, five ten two twenty is what he's listed at. Uh, if he's all of that, that's that's the NFL prototype. That's what you're looking for, and if he can run fast at that weight. Uh, he's going to be right there at at, at, uh, RB3. But really, you do have to consider Michael Carter. Measurements are going to be the thing that sort of hold him back, both as an NFL prospect and then thusly as uh, a fantasy uh, prospect for us in our our drafts. Um, But I I do like them both because they've both been great. My favorite guy last year coming into this year – I'm 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 sort of falling off a little bit. Is Kenny Gainwell? I love him. I love the way he plays. I love everything about him. I just don't like that he's probably not 200 pounds, and just he's starting to smell a little bit like a a, a, a supplemental player in the NFL and not a lead back. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I and yeah. again, we were we were pretty high on. Um, man, this is what happens when you're 23 years old. Your mind starts to uh, fall fall. <laughs> You're getting old. You're getting old. I know. I know. It, it, it's yeah. It ends up being you know you know that guy with the the the, the L.A. Rams, not uh, not Acres, but the other guy. Yeah, Daryl Henderson. Daryl yeah. Henderson. I like more than Kenny Gainwell, and he's been pretty lackluster. So that kind of makes me think about the whole process as well. Is like Memphis has got great numbers, great great numbers for its uh, quarterbacks, great numbers for its wide receivers, great numbers for its running backs. I'm a little bit, um, you know, I've, I've got some cold feet when it comes down to Kenny Gainwell for that, also because of his size. So it'll be interesting. He's taken the year off. So what has he done in yep. the offseason? This is another question with with guys like Jamar Chase, with Chuba, Chuba Hubbard. Like, what have these guys done on the offseason? Have they excelled? Have they gone to the weight room? Are, are they coming back bigger? Maybe. Maybe Kenny Gainwell is like a 205 pounds. That changes everything. So a lot to be determined coming up in the next few months, definitely. So he definitely is a slippery running back. So if he's bigger, then, you know, all bets are off and maybe he's uh, he's worth consideration. That's right. And he's also listed at 5'11", 190. That's, that's real, really skinny for a running back. I mean, if he's 5'9", 190, you know, if we're talking about Michael Carter, 5'8", 190 something, you know, that's, that's one thing. But, you know, when you're 5'11", and you're 190, that's not an NFL running back uh, body type. It just isn't. And and you go ahead and find me some 5'11", 190 
you know, bell cow backs in the NFL and I'll pay you a dollar uh, because you're not going to find him. Uh, and so, but if he comes in at five, nine and three quarters and 205, well, Hey, this is all different. It's a different, different yeah. cat. And if he can run fast at that size, then okay, great. Now you're closer to Deandre Swift than you are to not an NFL football player. And I know it sounds ridiculous. People probably listen to this going, really dude for 10, 15 pounds. Yeah. 10, 15 pounds of body mass is a big difference. And, you know, especially when these guys are so good in the NFL, the, the margins are so thin. He's just, you know, He's just never going to be the, a, a bell cow in the league. He's just never going to be a guy that that's that's winning you fantasy championships if he can't stay on the field for seventy or eighty percent of the plays. That's just never going to happen. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's so early now. Like so many things can happen, and that's the important thing. As you know, an evaluator myself, and a, as anyone else out there, you really have to just you know look at everything, and things change over time. And there's a lot to be determined in the next couple of months. So just be, you know, stay tuned. Keep your eyes on everything. Yeah. Yep. And here we go. What I'll what I'll share with you, and 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 you don't even have to mention too much here, but a couple of the guys that are exciting. Obviously, Jarrett Patterson with the with Buffalo, just kind of people love him. Uh, Jamar Jefferson, people really like. Uh, Kylan Hill and Khalil Herbert also seem to have the size. Uh, and pedigree. So there's some running backs that could absolutely vault past some of these smaller guys uh, like a Kenny Gainwell. Uh, you know, again, it's hard for me because I, I you know, the heart goes out to Kenny Gainwell. Um, we're, we're going so long. Of course we knew we would, uh, but we're not, we're not, we're not too long yet. I mean, I've done some two hour pods. This one's going to get pretty damn close, but um, we're, 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 we're knocking on the door two hours. But if you think that the people want us to stop talking about prospects then you have no idea who our audience is. I guarantee you, they're just like pausing that shit. I'll put it on tomorrow, baby. Just keep going. Uh, so we're gonna talk about the the wide receivers because this is like unbelievable. You want to talk about if your dynasty team needs wide receivers, just go trade for second round picks uh, and pick like three or four of them. I made a, a list of three guys that I think are elite: Jamar Chase, Devonte Smith, and Rashad Bateman. I don't know. Maybe I should almost, you know, add guys to that because there's a guy I want to put in there, a couple guys I want to put in there, or maybe I should take a couple guys. I don't know. What are your thoughts about sort of just having the top three here, or or uh, how do you how do you view the the top of the class here? Uh, it's tough, Leon. Like it's it's making your own tiers. Like to me, I think Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith are in their own tier. I think Rashad Bateman, uh, Jalen Waddle and Rondell Moore are in another tier. And then it's a great these call. Other guys, these other guys are, 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 are good too. I mean, it's, and it's again, um, it, it, it's tough because we're evaluating Jamar chase without, without playing this year. We're reevaluating Devonta Smith. Who's just dominated. He was going to get the Heisman trophy. Rashad Bateman's uh, one of those cases where, <laughs> He's never really had a great quarterback, so he, we're basing that basic based on his, you know, ability to overcome a lot of obstacles. Uh, Waddle injury, uh, Rondell Moore injury size. There's a lot of there's a lot of potential here, and then we haven't even hit the other guys that are next. But like you said, this is a good year to you know I I see the the running backs as being kind of top heavy. Like uh, the, I like the top three a lot. And I think there's a divide there. And those are three to, to look in your first round of Superflex or, or any rookie round. Um, whereas 
you know, there's a lot of good talent in the, um, a lot of deep talent in the wide receiver position. Therefore, the second round, I'm almost going to go like all second round. I'm not even going to think about anything else, but just pick up wide receivers. So, yeah. I agree 100%. Yeah, it's <clears throat> absolutely. I mean, you think about like just the names that we kind of came up with and there's more. There's more wide receivers that we could even talk about, but just this sort of, you know, anywhere from like great to elite, it's like there's like, I don't know, 15 of them. It's crazy. You know, I, I can't even count right now. You know, and you're right. Jamar Chase didn't play this year, but I think he did himself the favor by not doing that because we all just remember how good he was in that legit offense. And he outplayed uh, Justin Jefferson, which now looks like a really kind of awesome thing to do <laughs> um, because Justin Jefferson, right? Like, you'd yeah. be like, I'm better than Justin Jefferson, bitch. You know, it's like, oh, oh, <laughs> that's kind yeah, of a nice thing to be able to say. Seriously, Chase taking the year off was the smart. I and I, and I, I got so much more respect for the guy because he was probably you know sitting around going, okay, I just had an outlier season. I know I'm good, but there's a chance next year, and he didn't foresee this year being a COVID year or anything like that. That you know what, my quarterback is not going to be who I want it to be. He's not going to be Joe Burrow. Um, and I'm not ready. I'm too young to, to enter the NFL. I'll take the year off and, you know, just uh, see how things go. And um, smartest move he made, it just shows how intelligent. I don't know if he's making the decisions or he's got a manager or, or someone telling him, but that was a very smart decision and it's made me respect him even more. Yeah, and, and he's sort of like, uh, you know, if we're looking at not comps, but just sort of play style, he's kind of like uh, – uh, DJ Moore, Odell Beckham on steroids type of thing. I mean, he's just he's he's really you know sort of well put together, and he he's a little bit like uh, DeAndre Hopkins in this one way that he looks a little bit longer and leaner than his size shows that he is. In other words, you know he plays big, um, you know he plays on the outside, he beats people uh, downfield for for balls. I mean, he's just a big play waiting to happen. I mean, last year in his really only big year, he was. Uh, almost 22 yards a catch on 84 catches and 20 touchdowns. I mean, that's just the kind of dominance that you just don't see very often. And so, you know, he was young. He was a true sophomore at that point. And to dominate that that thoroughly um, as a true sophomore, it, it just says that you gotta you got to really consider him with that, that first wide receiver off the board pick. What you'll have to do to do that is you'll have to bypass Devontae Smith, who – you know, a lot of people had a lot of questions about in the last couple of years, uh, you know, and I didn't. I, I mean, look, size is an issue. I mean, he's listed at 6'1", 175. We'll see how much he weighs out at, how big he is, and how fast he runs at whatever he weighs out at. Um, you know, because he needs to be fast. I mean, he is fast. He That's not an issue. But, I mean, he can't, you know, eat a bunch of cheeseburgers, run a 4'6", 5", and weigh 220. It's not going to be – you know, he's going he's gonna to weigh what he weighs at the combine. He's going to probably be – if he's 180 pounds, that's a win. You know, he's going to run in the 4'4s if he doesn't run in the 4'3s. And it really doesn't even matter because you turn on the tape and he is beating guys all over the place. He's got what they call – uh, you know, field speed. You know, it doesn't matter how fast he is on uh, on a track. He has that ability to change directions. You know, all the fluidity in the world, and and that's what's going to be uh, his elite trait at the next level. 
Um, and I don't think you can take that away from them. I mean, size will be a little issue in, in, in press and with these corners in the NFL, they're, they're, they're not the same as they are in college. So he's going to have some issues there, but God, is he, is he skilled, huh? Oh, and I mean, that's the thing is why I feel that these two are, uh, uh, out of any of the prospects, running backs, even, even Kyle Pitts as a tight end out of all the, all the prospects here, I feel that these two are the ones that I feel most secure about hitting. And it's based purely on dominance on the field, production, uh, dominator, all of that stuff. And I have a feeling yeah, that Jamar Chase is the more athletic out of the two. And I, I think he's my clear number one right now, but clear number two is Devonta Smith. And I know he's got the BMI issues or whatever size, but honestly, yep. on the field, there's a lot. There's a lot of you know. DeAndre uh, Hopkins is not a burner. This guy might not be a burner. I think he's. I think he's fast, but he might not be the most athletic. But you know what? If you dominate for Alabama, that has to be worth way more than any kind of athletic testing, in my opinion. Yeah, and another guy that that dominated at Alabama, and you you had a great tweet uh, Twitter thread, I guess it was. It was more like an article about Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, and how we're forgetting about Jalen Waddle, and 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 he's listed at 5'10", 185. Um, you know, and, and other than the fact that his ankle bent in half this year, he was on pace to be probably the first wide receiver chosen in the NFL draft. Uh, that's the way he was playing when he got hurt. Um, he's that good. And so when we talk about him, the only reason he's not in the elite is injury, right? And, and size. So, I mean, he comes out, is he, is he going to be okay? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I know I, you guys think I am, but I'm not, uh, Jalen Waddle, right? Uh, I mean, he's that good. So really the question is, is he going to be healthy? But he's also had a little bit, he hasn't dominated ever, uh, well, this year I guess he did, right? But he's never really dominated like uh, like Devontae Smith did. Last year, Devontae Smith outplayed him thoroughly. Uh, I think Waddle is a little bit more for me uh, of, of a deep threat type of player. Uh, you know, he's going to have that that ridiculous speed. I don't think I don't know that he's going to run at the combine. I can't imagine he will. I don't think he's healthy enough yet. But you get my point. He's he's that burner guy, and so. But is he Marquise Brown? Or is he something more than that? I don't. I don't know. Um, and that's kind of where I'll. I don't know if I. Tell me what your thoughts are. I, I, I'm starting to think I'm probably going to fade Waddle at cost. Uh, it depends. I I've seen varying results on people's evaluations of him. Um, many have him ahead of Devonta Smith, which um, I can see that. You know, like uh, Terry McLaurin was one of those that uh, you know he kind of. Yep. Did really get on a lot of people's radars as a top prospect and um, he ended up being the guy to get for Ohio State so I think Waddle has a lot again a lot has to do with landing spot and what kind of think of okay Henry Ruggs we're saying that uh, if Henry Ruggs played with Justin Herbert versus Henry Ruggs playing with Derek Carr that's a huge difference. Those are two different types of quarterbacks. I'm not saying that Herbert smiles ahead of, of Derek Carr, but he's he's the type that really allows a guy like Henry Ruggs to shine. So uh, true. A lot, a lot of uh, there's just so many layers to this. But uh, the problem with with Waddle is 
he he is actually more dominant in his four games that he played this year than Devonta Smith. But if you look at the number of receptions, and that's something that I don't think Dominator puts into consideration. This is something I'm working on for a re-Dominator, and that is we have to think about if a guy gets 110 receptions as opposed to 74, even though the, the, the yards are the same, we have to look not at the guy with 110 receptions as being better or inferior, but different, and, but, but still right. significant. Because the guy that's got 110 receptions is probably getting open more often. And that tells, you right. lot, that tells you a lot about that player. Whereas the guy with 74 receptions with the same amount of yards tells you that probably he's faster and maybe he's more athletic. And, and that's an advantage in a different way. So these are we're now looking at two different types of great receivers. And that's where when I yeah. waddle, I, I see him as another, almost the same way as you look at Jamar Chase versus uh, Justin Jefferson. Um, Jefferson was more of the... Uh, Devonta Smith style played in the slot, had a lot of receptions, um, still was dominant. And then you had um, Jamar Chase, who's more like Waddle, fewer receptions, more yards per reception, faster. So these are, you know, both viable. Not one's better than the other. They're just different, but good. And pick them up if you can. Yeah. And I mean, and that brings us right to another guy who has been, you know, what, look, Rondale Moore had 114 catches, but only 11 yards per catch in his freshman year. Obviously, to, to go out and put up 1,250 yards as a true freshman and 12 touchdowns uh, in, in any division, but certainly in the Big Ten, without good quarterback play, was very impressive. Uh, he also ran the ball uh, 10 yards a clip for 200 yards and two touchdowns. So he was just so dominant as a freshman, comes out as a sophomore, was dominating and hurt himself, right? And throw away 2019, throw away this year. I mean, it's been just kind of, I don't know. Uh, you know, you can't judge him on this year. And here we are, and we're, we're, we have to make a, a call on this guy. And if you told me he's the next, like, you know, Steve Smith, but with with more athleticism and he's a 15-year pro, I'd be like, okay, I, sure, believe it. If you told me he's just not what we thought he was because he's too small and – I. I believe that too, and so it's going to be interesting uh, what we're what our evaluation is of of these of these three guys: this Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Rondale Moore, and, and and how their size will affect them at the next level, or will it, or won't it? I mean, I don't know, but certainly being bigger and more athletic, aka um, you know AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, seems to have its have its advantages in the NFL. And Marquise Brown and some of these other smaller guys, John Ross, not that these guys are John Ross, but I'm just saying they've failed, uh, failed miserably in the NFL. And, and so I'm not suggesting that these guys are either of those two players. I'm just saying it's, it's, a, it's a small red flag that, that some of the other prospects don't have. And a guy that I really like is like Terrace Marshall. Um, am I maybe a little too high on Terrace? Or uh, something tells me this kid's going to be a, a monster at the next level. I'm I'm not there yet. Uh, I still have okay. a lot more. <laughs> I still have a lot more uh, evaluations to do. I haven't looked at uh, Terrace as much. Um, again, not as dominant as the other two, even playing by himself. But again, he he didn't have the quarterback that uh, he was kind of. He was like the guy left on the field. He looks around. Uh, Justin yes. Jefferson <laughs> now in the NFL. 
he's looking at uh, Jamar Chase running off into the distance, and then he looks at his quarterback <laughs> and goes, "Oh shit! Okay, let's yeah. do it." You know, so, so that's right. Said for that, but he, he 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 did very well this year. So and he does have the size. He's got the size. So there's those concerns are not there. So therefore, you know, I, I, he's definitely worth consideration. I I again, it's too early to tell, but uh, maybe maybe in a few months. Uh, when we when he have this discussion again on Twitter or whatever, um, I'll have more to say about this. But he's definitely you know he's played for LSU. He's he's played with these other guys. He's played around talent. That that says a lot too. So and he's been healthy. So there's a lot of good things coming out of this. And you know again he's he's one of those guys that people kind of forget. You know everybody's thinking about the Tylen Wallaces, the the Amon Well, Ross, that's where I was going next. You know, all these Rashad Batemans. And then this guy's kind of like forgotten. So he could be the Terry McLaurin. So, you know, this is all possible. So he, he could be better than Jamar Chase. We don't think so right. at this point. In time, but, you know, we don't know. And that and that's what's exciting. And, and, you know, going into the unknown, into the darkness. I mean, we should never give up. And, and my biggest, I, I guess, if I had to give any advice, you know, you doing your own self-evaluating is go in without any biases. I mean, it's tough not right. to. Be, you like guys, you like teams, whatever. You like sizes, you like, you know, different things. But the best thing is honestly to go with, you know, what you see on film and trust your own eyes. And people will tell you that, you know, uh, you know, even if you don't watch a lot of film, you know, and, you know, and people could say like, oh, Yo, you just watched YouTube highlights. Therefore, you're not a film watcher. But, you know, can you imagine a guy that watches just YouTube highlights versus a guy that watches hours and hours of film and his evaluations are better? It's possible. It's like saying someone who studies their brains out for a test is automatically going to get a higher mark on the exam because the other person only studied for like five minutes. It doesn't matter. I mean, some people are good at it and some people are not good at it. The thing is, you go in with no bias and you go out there and you just trust your own judgment and maybe listen to other people, but don't take everybody's, everybody's just conjecture. They have maybe some an analysis or whatever to back it up, but, but analysis goes only so far. So really go in with unbiasedness and just find the players that you like, and hopefully you get them at a cost. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself, but the, the idea would be for me is, is to find value. You're absolutely right. And I think Tylen Wallace will be that. I, I, you know, I draft him at the 3.01 in our, our league. I don't think he's ever going to be available at the 3.01 again. Um, but the two guys I really like, uh, you know, and another one, Chris Olave, but the two guys I really like are Tylen Wallace and Diami. Is my saying that right? Diami Brown. Uh, just as I start to dig in here and, and you know, Tylen was that guy that I thought, you know, look, I look for sophomore production too. And he was a true sophomore. He puts up 86 almost 1500 yards, 12 touchdowns. Um, you know, he's always been a basically 17 yards, a catch and a hundred yards a game is what, uh, Tylen Wallace has been. I mean, he's just like a metronome out there, just putting it up every single game. Um, you know, I think he could really be a big play player. He's kind of the, 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 the sort of Terry McLaurin, uh, comp, uh, for me, he just seems like a, a guy that constantly gets it done. You see him go up and get it too. I mean, he he can obviously jump. I think he's going to jump really well, and and you can kind of see that burst as well uh, that 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 jumping signifies. So I think he's he's fast. Uh, I think he's going to run real fast. I think he's going to shoot up the board. So you know, if you have 
drafts before the draft type of thing. I think Tylen's going to pose a lot of value, but maybe after the combine, uh, he's going to start shooting up. So that's a that's a Devi buy right now, I think. But you know, because uh, I love Tylen Wallace, Diami Brown. This was was this kind of your guy here, or am I am I misremembering? <laughs> You're not. No, no. Diami Brown, honestly, at that at this level, and I'm going to jump to a few more guys here. Diami Brown, Seth Williams, Elijah Moore, and the other guy, those are my three kind of like late round guys. And Kadarius Tony is another one of consideration as well. I got to look into him more. I think he's more of a gadgety guy. But um, the other yeah. guy that I wasn't considering until somebody else on Twitter kind of pointed it my way, which is uh, Sage Surratt. And because yeah. he, he pointed out to me that uh, he didn't play this year. He opted out. Um, but last year or the year before, uh, he had a college dominator over 50%. So this is another guy that's big, good size, really good size, maybe on the faster side and dominate. So these are guys that I'm interested in. I'm, I'm interested in guys that dominated in college. So, Yeah, Sage Surratt should be a, a, a late round steal too. I mean, I, I can't imagine him finding his way into the second round too often unless some things change because, you know, he'll probably be a day two pick in the NFL, you know, rounds two or three. And I think that's kind of where he falls in our, in our, um, in our rookie drafts. And he's going to be a great value. You're right. He's a true sophomore in the ACC played for Wake Forest, played nine games, put up a thousand yards and 11 touchdowns for Wake Forest. And that's where that dominator comes from. It's percentage of yards and touchdowns for his team. And, um, you know he he's gonna he's gonna score really well there. He's also gonna score really well on the uh, yards per team pass attempt, which is a, a a metric that I think the guys over at Rotoviz had come up with, which I really like as well. Um, so you know you kind of look for these metrics that lead you to the right guy. And same thing with Diami Brown, man. This kid, man, he's he's had two straight years of of a thousand yards and two straight years of uh, over twenty yards of catch. So kind of probably pretty electric. Um, and he's, he's, he's got a good, he's got good size as well. They list him at six one one eighty five. Hopefully he's a little heavier than that. Um, but you know, he's not a, he's not a, not a shrimp. So, you know, I don't like the small wide receivers, uh, in the NFL. I, I think they can get a little overwhelmed unless they're truly special, which is why Devonte Smith sort of bucks that trend. But, um, but yeah, Diami Brown, Tylen Wallace, you're right, Sage Surratt. I like Tamori and Terry. Uh, you know, he could be a, a, a DJ Chark type, a little, uh, you know, playing on a team that doesn't throw it all that well, but he's long, lean, super fast. Um, he's going to be available late. So there's going to be a lot of these guys available late, um, you know, and, uh, and, and we'll go out on this. But, you know, even the, the you know, a guy like Justin Ross, who basically his career should be over. And, and if he comes back, I don't know what's going on with him, but he was a, a top-level talent that is sort of now as a, an afterthought, admittedly. I'm not you know too excited about his pro prospects. I don't even know if he'll ever play again. But you know he's sort of in the conversation here. If he can get back on the football field, would be an incredible story. Uh, you know, So there's just so much talent so late in this draft. So – um, hopefully that was a lot of fun. Obviously, tight ends are a little bit easy. You know, it's Kyle Pitts and everybody else in the world can can go straight to hell. Um, how, however, it's however, true, man. however, it's a deeper tight end class than people think. So again, this is a very oh, exciting year. There's a the tight ends are there. Some some good late round, say third or fourth round rookie draft picks. Um, there's a lot. Yep. Yeah. So big big uh, pool of quarterbacks. 
big pool of wide receivers. I would say that the the running backs is the only probably disappointing, but but it's better than what we expected. So it's going to be an exciting rookie drafts for all you guys out there doing super flex uh, dynasty leagues. So there's a you know if your dynasty draft only has four rounds then you're going to probably want to pick up a few guys off the waiver wire right away type thing. And if you've got the five-round thing, you're going to get some good guys in those fourth and fifth rounds. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. There'll be some good flyers. Well, I swear to God, I could just keep just keep talking about this and and just keep going and, and keep talking about uh, prospects and try and learn some more and more from you. But, you know, we'll, we'll do it some more. Uh, the key here is to to follow the undroppables on Twitter. Certainly follow Mark Mathic. I think I screwed up your uh, your 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 um, uh, your Twitter uh, handle. It's 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 Master June seventy. I always forget the seventy. Um, yeah. So Master June seventy. Uh, Minshew Brofist, which is you know he's so dope. But Mark Mathic's the kid's name. I say kid. You know he's a young guy. He's you know twenty three years old. He hasn't been around that long. You know. Uh, yes. But uh, but yeah, definitely follow him. He's actually this is the time that you really want to be paying attention to 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 Mark because this is when he's just throwing out so much you know positive um, information out there, and, and we're really keeping our our um, you know our fingers on the pulse of all these prospects. And there's not much that we're going to know different between now and let's say combine time. Uh, but at that point, we're going to start to. Uh, put some more pieces of the puzzle. And then of course, all the pieces come together when the NFL draft happens because that draft capital uh, landing spot, et cetera. But we want to have a pretty good idea of who we like and who we don't. And, and uh, that's, what's so fun about this. So I had, a, had a ton of fun talking to you. We'll, we'll, we'll keep this conversation going all over the place, but uh, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you coming on. Oh man. I appreciate it. You know, you're the best. You're amazing, undrafted, undroppables, all you guys. Very lucky to be part of this group. Very, very happy to be your friend. And thanks for having me on. And I love this stuff. So, you know, anytime, just anytime you want to talk, any of you guys want to reach out to me on anything, criticize me, I don't care. It's all good because we're here to learn from each other. So thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, that's the truth, man. I love you too, brother. I am proud to call you my friend and always will, man. So for all of us at the Undroppables, for all of us here at the Undrafted, including my friend, Kane and Harris, Kane Rob, thank you so much for being here for me. Hopefully you're here for a long, long time, brother. Uh, for all of us, sayonara.